Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This week's theme is Halloween Fun, and Alan and I will be curating a mixtape featuring lighthearted songs to play on All Hallows' Eve. How are you doing this October? Uh, I'm doing really well, actually. Uh, all things considered, you know, I'm making the best of a very terrible situation, but October is always my favorite month. So, you know, once the air gets crisp and the leaves start to turn and football season is in play and we are getting ever closer to trick-or-treat, I, I just, you know, it, it's very hard uh, for depression to take hold, for me anyway, in the month of October. So yeah, October is my favorite month. It is and mine as well. Yeah. And we debated when we decided to do a Halloween episode, of course. I think when we started this podcast, that was one of the first episodes we were looking forward to. Yep. Was doing a Halloween episode. And I know I compiled my original list, which had uh, over 85 songs on it. <laughs> and I think you were somewhere in the same range. Yeah, yeah. And so we had a discussion. We said, well, we could have two episodes. We could uh, talk about fun Halloween songs. And then we could talk about scary Halloween songs. And some of those songs could actually fit in either category. Right. Depending yeah. on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we decided because of, you know, 2020 has just been kind of crappy all around. So let's go with the fun aspect of Halloween Absolutely. this year. And yes. then maybe next year we will um, we'll pick up the scary part. Yep. Well, you know, and, and when we started talking about, you know, remote control part three, of course, we ended up splitting into two episodes, which was never our intent. We were actually going to do you know, the lighthearted Halloween and end the season with the scary Halloween. But I was worried, you know, once we broke it down in that way, of course now we're just doing the one, that we would use all of the songs available to us and, you know, we'd be repeating ourselves in years in the years ahead. But I'll tell you what, I, this week I went back and, and I really, really just began to dig through my, my music collection. And I discovered I could probably just just for Halloween fun alone, easily probably provide music for at least four or five Yeah, there's a lot seasons. of stuff out there. there. There's so much available that I, I hadn't even considered. Um, but no, th- this is going to be a fun episode. It, it's uh, it's Halloween. I, I love Halloween. So I stayed away from candy. I, I have no candy songs. Um, how about you? I have, well, I have the obvious candy song that everyone's going to expect. You can rely on me for the obvious songs. Okay. Fair enough. Even though it's really not about candy, it fits. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I stayed away from candy. Um, some songs I really questioned which playlist they would they would belong to. Are, are they fun? Are they scary? Are they both? For instance, Alice Cooper did not make this list. He did um, not make mine either, I don't think. Yeah, I, I you know... But he's so over the top. I, he, he really he could is. Going any category. Yeah, and and you know the the song that I wanted to use for him had we gone with a scary episode, it, it definitely would have uh, fit in in the lighthearted, but only because it's so campy. Right. Um, right. But I, I yeah he he didn't make an appearance. In fact, there are a lot. I, I think I've represented a majority of the songs people expect, but. Um, there, there are some noticeable omissions, so I'm, I'm hoping you kind of picked up... Uh, well, you can always rely on me to do the so. obvious one, so... All right, well, I... Let's begin? Yeah, let's let's do this. Oh, here's the ever, uh, ever and never-ending question. You go first. I go first, all right. I started remote control. 
And and by the way, criteria we didn't quite discuss, but I think we basically did. Um, it just like the title for me, it was just fun songs that relate to the Halloween holiday. So yep, nothing beyond that. Me as well. All right. Well, uh, I am going to start with, and I, I guess I can kind of ruin it now because we're not doing the second part. But for the first time in Gen X mixtape history, um, I was going to have the same song by a different artist beginning my two playlists. Next week, for Scary, I was going to start with Marilyn Manson's version of This is Halloween. Uh-huh, yep. Because this week, I'm starting with Danny Elfman's version of This is Halloween from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, I'm so glad you have it. I, I thought of it, and I just didn't didn't go there. Because so. this is a, and, and that's one of these where you could say could go in, in the scary category, but the fact that Marilyn Manson covered it. And that's definitely in the scary category. Wow, yeah. This one, to me, is so much fun. I love playing this. Ever since the movie came out, I've enjoyed this song. And, of course, now, you know, The Nightmare Before, uh, Before Christmas has really become kind of a cult thing with the next generation. So it has. This is, this is always a fan favorite. It's the opening number to Tim Burton's uh, dark stop-motion musical, The Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, which, like I said, gained cult status since its release in 1993. Uh, it was composed by Danny Elfman who also provided the singing voice of the main character, Jack Skellington. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Elfman received an Oscar nomination for Best Original Score for this film. And we talked about how he scored, you know, he began scoring. Well, let's go back a little bit further. He started with Oingo Boingo. Correct. As the, the, the lead man and composer for Oingo Boingo. And went on then to start scoring films for, for Tim Burton, like Batman and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And then The Simpsons, we talked about that last week. Right. And boy, he just kind of exploded after that. And uh, this is one of his, you know, kind of master works. Boys and girls of every age, would you like to see something strange? Come with us and you will see. This is our town of Halloween. This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Pumpkins scream in the dead of night. This is Halloween. Everybody make a scene. Trick or treat. like snakes and spiders in my hair. This is Halloween, this is Halloween, 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 Halloween. This was the first DVD that I ever played in my first DVD player. Really? Nightmare Before Christmas. I, I, this was somewhere in, you know, in the 90s, late 90s, when I bought my first DVD player. Huh. I don't know why I had this one handy, or if I had borrowed it from a friend, maybe. But I remember... And you've got to remember, folks, back then, televisions were still pretty small. Right. Like, right now, you can go to Walmart, and you can buy, like, a 60-inch TV for, like, 300 bucks yeah, or something ridiculous. You can buy a movie screen, but, essentially. <laughs> but back back in the late 90s, you know, if you had a, a 30-some-inch TV, that was, that was pretty big. Um, and it's funny, because I had a surround sound system, which kind of, at the time, became popular. And I remember watching Star Wars for the first time when I had this just grandiose sound that shook the house. And the picture was this. I mean, we had a 25-inch screen. Plus, if you think about Star Wars, it, it was letterboxed because if you watched it on VHS, right? Um, you had a tiny little strip across a 25-inch screen, and the, and the picture did not match the sound. And so when DVD came out, not only did you have the you know clear widescreen, of course, the widescreen TV, that's another thing. The widescreen TVs weren't even out yet, so you still had letterboxing. It was, but anyway, the leap from VHS quality to DVD quality in both sound and picture for me, 
was huge. Uh, maybe even bigger so than from DVD to Blu-ray. Just amazing. And so I remember watching this opening number and this song and just saying, with the surround sound, this is awesome. So I'm going to go with that one. Okay, no, it's a great pick. I I guess in my mind, I, you're right. I mean, the, the timing fits, but I, I don't know why I, I there was just a disconnect. You said Nightmare was the first uh, DVD, and in my mind, Nightmare is... I don't know if I thought it was more recent than it was, or if I thought DVDs have been around forever. <laughs> but uh, no, well, I, late nineties is when right, yeah, the DVD no, no, explosion you're absolutely kind of right. I took just, off. I, I don't. I just. I don't know. My I mean, and this film came out ninety three, but but the DVD release. Yeah, you know, no, you're absolutely been, right. So. No, it, it's one of my absolute favorites. And Burton, of course, he started as a Disney animator, right. so you know, and, and Disney has the licensing, of course. But now, Nightmare Before Christmas is a classic, and. I did think about including it. Did not think about including Marilyn Manson. So you're one up on. on well, I had figured too. There. Local boy props. You know, right. Northeast Ohio, yeah. born and raised. Um, Went attended Glen Oak High School. Yeah, this was a was a Disney uh, was a Disney picture. But you know, originally they put it under their Touchstone moniker because yes. they felt it was too dark yep. to be in a, a Disney classic. Now, of course, since they've re released it and rebranded it, uh, it's still known as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's under the Disney Pictures right. label. So, yeah. Now, I, I suppose kidnapping the Sandy Claus is uh, you know. And what when where would hot topic for student for students would be traumatic for for young children and where would hot topic be without the nightmare before christmas oh. it would be out of business <laughs> very well might be all right um no it's a great choice um well mine i'm just going to get the the obvious choice out of the way my first pick this week is from michael jackson and it is thriller that was my number two on the scary list was it yeah you, you put it on scary well mm. it's funny I, I mentioned to my wife this morning actually when we were kind of getting ready i said because she asked what we were doing and I, I said you know some of them fit in two categories i said thriller is a great example she goes well i would consider thriller scary and i said yeah it's on my scary list but it's on my scary list because the the intention is kind of a b-movie fright film right okay. now is it fun because it's kind of this post disco funky dance number then yeah it's definitely fun so i think it's completely legitimate okay to have on that list but it's one of those i think could go either way and i'm glad we're not doing the other list now because <laughs> right. i don't have to find a new one yeah no i i no i totally get your point i i guess in my mind you know thriller was so i mean, you're talking about probably the most famous choreography you know to come out of music television you know there have been so many attempts to, to break the world record of Guinness, you know, with the the crowds, you know, flash mobs doing the Thriller dance. It, it's, no, I, I see it. I, I totally get why it would be, you know, scary for you. But now I went fun. Um, thriller was actually, it was the last of seven U.S. top 10 hits from the Thriller album. When we talk about 80s albums where every song, we, and we've talked about it several times. Right. You know, this was the, the very last, uh, it was the seventh top 10 hit. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Thriller came out in 82. Correct. And by the time Thriller, um, the single was released, would have been 84, right? Yeah. No, I, yeah. So you have an album that's been producing singles for, mm-hmm. you know, at least a year and a half. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and well, and the album itself was at number one on, you know, Billboard uh, top 200 um, albums for. Well, at least the better part of a year. Right. I, I'm not sure offhand, but yeah. And the Thriller, you know, it was the rare pop song um, with a horror theme. You know, Halloween novelty songs like Monster Mash, they've been around for 
forever. Um, but this was the first hit song with year-round appeal, containing lyrics about creatures of the night who terrify their victim. Um, it was one of three songs for the album written by British songwriter Rod Templeton. Um, Templeton uh, also wrote uh, this song, you know, when he wrote this song, um, he envisaged uh, a famous voice in the horror genre to do the spoken word vocal. Um, and at the end of the song, uh, when he when he brought this up to producer Quincy Jones, uh, Jones said that his wife knew and was friends with Vincent Price. And, and Quincy recommended uh, the legendary actor, and of course, you know, not only Temperton, but, but Jackson himself, you know, jumped at the opportunity. Price's rap includes the line, Must Stand and Face the Hounds of Hell, which was inspired by the most popular Sherlock Holmes novel to date, The Hounds of the Baskervilles, by uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, in which uh, Sir Henry Baskerville's family is supposedly cursed by a bloodthirsty demonic hound from hell. Uh, Price's personal friends, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, um, starred in a loose 1959 film adaptation of it. Um, but without question... Uh, the genius of Price's narration is that evil laugh. You right. know? And while a guest on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Price laughably stated that when he did the narration for Thriller, he had a choice. Uh, the, the label actually gave him a choice between taking a percentage of the album's sales or $20,000. Don't tell me he took $20,000. Price uh, was well along in his career, and he... Just said, "Give me the twenty thousand Wow, so you know he was good natured about it because Carson told him you know he reminded him really that you could have made millions off of the royalties you know due to the vast number of copies sold even at that time, and Price laughed heartily and said, "How well I know so I uh, got to meet Vincent Price did you really I did oh that'd be incredible i was I was very young, I was probably eight or nine years old, but he was on a like a lecture speaking circuit, and he was speaking at the Canton Palace Theater. And uh, I happened to be down at the um, Canton uh, Art Museum. Hmm. My grandmother would take me there, you know, to get some culture in me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it was great. Like, like, she was wonderful. She took me to all sorts of plays and art museums and, and symphonies and so forth. And so we were at, um, at the Art Museum, and Vincent Price, who was in town, was also at the Art Museum. And I recognized him immediately. I was a huge fan of the B-horror classics, especially The Fly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The Fly was one that I watched constantly. And so, uh, yeah, I, I got the courage to go up to him and uh, introduce myself, and he shook my hand, and it was kind of cool. That would be Yeah, I think he also awesome. autographed my my uh, program from the from the art no. dis- display. So. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Price recorded that central spoken section in just a second take. Um, and... It had been written that same day. Temperton actually wrote it in the taxi on the way to the studio for the recording session. So, um, but now Vincent Price, man, what, what a, I mean, not only, you know, a classic and, and a fan favorite, but he, he was so just. That was, yeah, he was very nice. Took the yeah, time I mean, to talk to just, me. Yeah, he, he gave all of this time and attention to his fans. He was just, I don't know, just very a class act, you know. Yeah. So. In fact, that kind of relates to my first choice and the fact that Tim Burton was a huge Vincent Price fan. And uh, one of his early short films entitled Vincent, I don't know if you remember that one. Tim, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then Vincent Price was a fan of that film. And so when Tim Burton finally got around to doing Nightmare, or I'm sorry, Edward Scissorhands, he was able to cast Vincent Price that how it, okay. in the role. And so he got to work with one of his idols. So Vincent Price might weave his way in and out of these Halloween episodes a lot. Well, 
uh, you know, if we if we were doing both episodes, uh, he certainly would have made it. Uh, he would have made mention when I got to Alice Cooper. Right. So uh, for I don't know if you know the story there, but yeah, it's thri- it. let's just say thriller owes a, a, a bit of a debt to Alice Cooper. Though, oh, yeah. Though you would think the two have nothing in common. So best, The best Vincent Price, though, is uh, the campy Roger Corman's Fall of the House of Usher from 1960. Yes. That's my favorite all time. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, he, he was in so many of the Hammer films and just, you know, those B films. Well, you know, you mentioned it was the se- seventh single off of Thriller. You know, the record company didn't want to even finance the video? Yeah. I, I, you know, I did read that. Jackson was going to pay out of his own pocket. Um, it actually cost 500000 500000 The most expensive by far. Not the, not the most expensive video, but the longest. It was like 13 minutes and change. $500,000. And the studio would not finance it because they, they realized the album had pretty much peaked. Like I said, it had been a year and a half, two years, and they'd already had seven singles, so they weren't going to invest any more money on promotion. But Jackson really wanted to make this video... And so I'm not sure if it was Jackson's idea or whose idea, but they eventually approached the, his team, I guess, approached um, a t- television network. I'm not sure which one it was, and said, "If you finance, I'm pretty sure it was Showtime. I want to say it was Showtime. Was it Showtime? Yeah, because MTV then got into a bidding war because they didn't want to be outdone by Showtime. If I remember, well, the, the deal was if the TV um, show financed the video, they would allow that network to then have the behind-the-scenes footage to do a documentary. Yep. And so the TV studio felt like it was a good risk. Um, it, and of course, then Thriller became this huge phenomenon, and they were able to then air the making of, which was also a huge television special. Yeah. And it didn't hurt that it was almost December, and then they released the the footage that behind the scenes is a video, right? That became one of the biggest selling video cassette of the year. Um, actually, you know, the video is considered the most famous music video of all time, and. Well, at least by the Library of Congress, because it, it added it to its National Film Registry. It did. It was in, the first music video to be yeah, added to Yeah, very first in, in 2009. Now, so. you know, my par- our, our parents' generation would always talk about everyone remembers where they were when Kennedy was assassinated, okay? We didn't have a... Well, I guess we could we could say we had the we had space the ch- shuttle. Challenger explosion, yeah. Our yeah. moment. But I want to say that everyone, our, our generation, can tell you exactly where they were when they saw Thriller for the first time. Can you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I remember. I uh, in fact, my wife this morning said the same thing. She remembered exactly in detail who she was with. She had to go to her friend's house because she didn't have cable. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing. I remember. I didn't have cable, so I went to my grandmother's house, and I remember waiting in anticipation because, of course, it was hyped by MTV for weeks and weeks oh, on the yes. news and everything. Yep. So yeah, well, that. I mean, is there anything more Gen X than Michael Jackson's Thriller? Probably not.
Now, one last thing I got to ask you here. Okay. I think I remember at Woodland Elementary. Oh, you're not going to go there, are you? At Woodland, oh, even though Dave. you and I were, were kept separately, <laughs> kept separate because yes, of you know, yes, the I, high ability program. Yes. I remember uh, you had a Michael Jackson thriller jacket. I did. That you wore uh, to school and on junior patrol. I remember yeah, you holding yeah. your In the morning stop with signs yeah. with your thriller so I'm right on that. I do remember yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I um and I man, I loved that jacket. <laughs> I was so proud of that jacket, and now it's I, I come across old pictures of me wearing it, and I just kind of try and bury them. <laughs> but um, but it was at least you didn't have the glove. No, I did not you wear the, the glove. glove. Right. Not wear, and if you've ever seen me in person, you'd know that I certainly, you know, my I do not look like Michael Jackson. That you know, I was already receding my hairline at the time. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, it, it's just oh yeah, the the, the jacket. <laughs> I could I, I could say in poor I knew, taste. I knew you were going to go there, so I could say in poor taste that you at least looked like him after the Pepsi commercial. But I didn't want to say that. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really. Sorry. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, like I said, my my hair was already receding. I I I've always looked older than I was. So here I was just this heavy, overweight, you know, acne ridden kid that looked like he had probably been held behind a couple of years sitting at the corner with my junior patrol flag wearing the Michael but can I tell you a secret? jacket. Yeah. I was jealous of that jacket. Were you really? Yeah. Actually, I wanted the beat it, Jackson, uh, beat it jacket, but I was jealous because I did not have a Michael Jackson jacket huh. and you did. Well, now I, now I feel much better about myself. You Thank you for that. There you go. <laughs> so, oh, too funny. All right. Anything else you'd like to say about? No, uh, I, I think we've we we've, covered that one pretty well. Yeah, I, I was not expecting to go that long. I, I I thought I was pushing the limit there, talking about you know how the basketballs. <laughs> so yeah, it is your turn. All right. Well, here's another fun one. It has to be on the list, and that's Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London. And we have a match that came out in 1978 from his album Excitable Boy, and it's uh, Warren Zevon's only top 40 hit in the United States. It went to number 21 on the Hot 100. Yes, it did. Um, actually, it kind of began in a strange way. Phil Everly of the Everly Brothers jokingly challenged Zevon to create a dance craze by writing a song inspired by the 1935 film Werewolf in London. And Zevon wrote the song in about 15 minutes as kind of a joke, never took the project seriously. But, it, you know, the recording kind of leaked, and you had artists like Jackson Brown and T-Bone Burnett beginning to play the song live. And so finally, Zevon decided he would seriously record it for an upcoming album. Mm-hmm. Um, he considered it a novelty song, um, but it ended up being like the hardest to produce. Yeah. And they ended up spending more studio time and more studio money. In fact, the, the, probably the lion's share of the album's budget on this particular song. But it turned out to be worth it because I would venture to say this is probably the, well, the, the best known Warren Zevon song to, to the average listener. And of course, unfortunately, maybe, it was uh, it was sampled by Kid Rock yes. for his uh, his huge summer hit All Summer Long, and so even if people from younger generations have never heard of Warren Zevon and don't know Werewolves of London, they would definitely recognize that piano riff from the Kid Rock song. Soho in the rain He was looking for 
with a place called Lee Hall Fuchs. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. song though and it's just so i, I love it i mean it, it's lyrically it's ly- lyrically it's yeah, lyrically it's it's genius it i mean it just goes through waves of you know this this very repulsive idea of you know a werewolf feasting on little old ladies into just the most comedic lines you know it's you know he was a hairy-handed gent who who ran amok in Kent and you know but he was well dressed I mean Zevon says I'd like to meet his tailor and he was well groomed you know at one point he says his hair was perfect <laughs> you know it's just it is it's just lyric lyrically it's it's just incredible and and not being a lyrics person that says a lot for me but you know actually he never considered it to be about an actual werewolf right he saw it as a metaphor for older yeah. men preying on women yeah for status and money and so on yeah 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 it was uh the gigolo or i guess maybe younger men preying on right. older women you know I've, I've even heard that you know zevon even imagined almost a jack the ripper type. right you right. know it was yep. just it was a victorian nightmare just yeah someone who was preying on the wealthy uh you know the affluent older ladies and yeah but uh, still it's but most one, songs, one of my favorite favorite Halloween songs of all time. Most songs are, are, are lucky enough to have one good hook, but here you have that piano riff, which is infectious, but then you have the whole, the howling uh, portion of the uh, of the chorus as well, and so you got uh, two great hooks and a great song. Yeah. No. It was a match. So, so you can't have a fun Halloween party without this no. cover. So I'm already going to my alternates list here before we're done. I, that may happen a few times, though. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. All right, well, my next song, uh, th- this one I'm I am really certain you do not have um my next song is called dracula's wedding and it is by andre 3000 who was one half of the pair of outcast i know the song i didn't okay. have it on my list though. yeah uh, in 2003 you know outcast duo big boy and uh andre 3000 uh, they released that mushroom cloud of of a double album on popular music uh speaker speaker box and the, the love album yep. or the love below rather um yeah, the album, I mean, it was one of the most highly anticipated and commercially successful and critically acclaimed albums of the last 25 years. You know, the, the album immediately went to number one. It sold over 500,000 copies in its opening frame. It was certified diamond with 10 million copies sold by December. And it famous, famously injected a rare dose of, of color into a Grammy Award so white that the white stripes were actually favored uh, to sweep you know, that, right. that night. Um, but in reality, Speaker Box and The Love Below, they were two separate solo albums. And each represented a turn for rap and a mutual parting of ways for the duo. This was the, the beginning of the end of, of Outkast. Uh, prior to the album's release, Dre had already grown frustrated with the limitations of hip-hop, and he said in countless interviews that he was done rapping. In fact, he said at age 25 he didn't want to be a rapper at 30 years old. Um, and he, he actually said at the time, if he ever performed on stage again, he would like to do so with a band. So it it really should not have come as a surprise then that The Love Below began life as a solo album, but the label LaFace uh, Records, they, they refused to let the duo split, so they had Big Boy release his uh, own solo album. They packaged them together, and you know the result was rightfully compared to the White Album. I mean, it was just too... 
two artists that uh, kind of went their separate ways and did their own thing. Um, the Love Below, though, it was a defining move for Andre as a solo artist. It was hardly recognizable as a rap album. Uh, it was an emotional, often campy concept album about the search for love. And his songs, it, they really, they played out like a, a dystopian coming-of-age comic book love story. Um, while not only keeping the essential elements um, that, that made him one of the most intriguing and, and sonically satisfying um, and, and lyrically outstanding artists of our time, he also experimented with his production skills uh, on, on the album. And, you know, it was just, it, it, the album lunged beyond the norm and it dared to be different, offering an eclectic mix of pop, hip-hop, soul, and jazz all wrapped up in a simple psychedelic bundle. So every perception, preconception of Andre 3000 as an artist was shattered. Um, but, you know, for all of the the varied artistry that, that's on the album, and then there is a lot. I mean, at times he croons like Nat King Cole over whirling strings, and he, you know, he, he has an electronic uh, instrumental cover of My Favorite Things that injects, uh, you know, a jazz-wise drum and bass into samples of John Coltrane. I mean, it's, it's really, it, it runs the gambit. But the highlight for me is this song, Dracula's Wedding, um, which was a, a funky duet um, with, with Khalees. Um, and, and, you know, there's a line, my, my castle may be haunted, but I'm terrified of you, you know. Andre 3000 here, he just sings, well, first, he sings in the song, again, no rapping, but uh, he underlines that main theme of, you know, basically just the fear of commitment, the fear of love, um, you know, basically saying vampires may be scary, but for some people it isn't half as frightening as falling in love. Dre's count, though, uh, he's terrified of commitment, and, and you know, he sings in the, just this distorted falsetto. But the vampiric puns, they come fast. You know, at one point, Khalees sings, give me the chance to dance, romance, don't run, I'm not the sun. So much at stake, and then, oh, bad choice of words. I mean, just little lines like that that make it so so funny and so so much uh, so much fun. All I've ever wanted, but I'm terrified of you. Seek my castle may be haunted, but I'm terrified of you. I've cast my spell on millions, but I'm terrified of you. Baby, I do this from the ceiling, but I'm terrified of you. I wait my whole life. The right one, then you come along and that freaks me out. So I'm frightened. Ooh, Dracula's one never ran from no one, but I'm terrified of you. See, my heartbeat is a slow one, but I'm terrified of you. I've been around for ages, but I'm terrified of you. Got my thing across the stage, but yet I'm terrified of you. I wait my whole life to find the right one. Then you come along and that freaks me out So I'm frightened Dracula's wedding uh, You know I'm terrified There's even a tribute to Sesame Street characters Count Von Count and the magician uh, the bumbling magician, uh, magician, the amazing Mumford. You Mumford, remember yes. Mumford? Yeah, and his sons. Yeah, Mumford. You know, he always was aided by his magic words. Remember yep. what they were? Uh, abracadabra, peanut butter jelly sandwich, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, um, Allah, Allah, peanut, peanut butter, butter and, and jelly, jelly sandwich. sandwich. Oh yeah. gosh, I remember. Um, so, and then he would always conjure you know, the, the trick, and the trick would go horribly wrong. Right. Yes. So yes. you know, in this song, um, 
you know, there is mention of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and then, of course, the trick manifests no... I mean, you talk about going wrong. It manifests Dracula's nemesis. Van Helsing suddenly appears. Mm. So, I mean, you know, it's just... It's so popular culturally, you know, significant. Just all these various ideas pulled in on the album, but this song specifically is just... Oh, it's golden. Yeah. So, when Mumford & Sons came out, I, I could only think of the, the really, mother. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. No, good choice. I did not consider that one. Really? No, this, that was actually the very first song that I thought of. I do have a hip-hop song on my list, though. Do you? That could have gone on either horror or fun, but I chose hmm. this one on fun. But that's at the bottom of my list. Interesting. So. Okay. All right. Next one, it's uh, not not rap, but, uh, but R&B, pop R&B. Uh, you had the jacket when you were in sixth grade. Uh, about this time, I had the T-shirt that everybody had. Sleeveless black T-shirt with a simple logo. Ghostbusters. Oh, 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 oh. Did you have the T-shirt? Um, I, mine was white. Okay. I had, oh, I had yeah. white. I had, white I had the actual Ray Parker Jr. that he wore in the video. Did you? Okay. T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm... Yeah, definitely had the Ghostbusters, but it, it was a white shirt, and we have another match. Oh, okay, by the way. great. So. <laughs> that came out in 84, same year as his Thriller. Um, that was on the uh, Ghostbusters original soundtrack album, and that was by Ray Parker Jr., as I mentioned. Yep. Uh, went to number one in the summer of 84 and stayed there for three weeks. So again, th- neither Thriller nor Ghostbusters were released around Halloween time, but they were, were huge songs. Uh, it was actually nominated for the best original song, but lost... The Oscar too. Do you know what song? Stevie Wonders. I just called to say I love you. <laughs> I just called to say I love you. <laughs> Lady in Red. Yes. One which, of the worst. I, I love know. Stevie Wonder, but I hate that song. Yeah. Well, and I love Gene Wilder, but I hated that movie. So yeah. right, 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 <laughs> you know? right. Um, anyway, Margaret Jr. He was successfully sued. A lot of people know this by Huey Lewis yeah. for ripping off "I Want a New Drug." And I remember reading about the lawsuit at the time and kind of thinking, "Well, what?" And then I listened. Oh, it's it's definitely, it's definitely yeah. there. It is Huey's melody. Uh, I didn't yeah. recognize it at the time, but it's just that that um, the whole kind of funky. I don't know what you would call it the uh, the riff that kind of leads into right. the into yeah. the verses and so forth. Um, but you know what? He probably had a point because the song "I Want a New Drug" was actually used as a temporary soundtrack in early cuts of the film. Really? So when they gave early cuts of the film to Ray Parker Jr. and they said, "This is kind of what we want the song to sound like," I think he took them a little bit too literally. Hmm. <laughs> so I, that that's probably I the had, connection that really helped the lawsuit. I had never heard that they yeah. used "I Want a New Drug" for the because that's the kind of vibe they wanted in that scene, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm sure he didn't intentionally rip oh, it off. No, but but and when you're trying to make something sound like something, you got to be careful. You don't make it sound too much. Yes, like yeah. something. Free to no ghost. 
Parker actually successfully countersued Huey Lewis when Huey Lewis disclosed the details of the original suit on VH1's Behind the Music. music. Yes. So their whole lives, they've just been going back and forth. But yep. uh, what, we'll talk about a fun Halloween song. Oh, it, you don't get much more fun no. than this. I mean, it's, it is classic. And, you know, the film, the original film is just, you know, it, it's hands down one of the greatest, you know, comedies and, and one of the defining moments of, of Gen X. Um, you remember but, the video? Uh, oh, yeah. In every, addition every, to the everybody shirt, was in it. you had all sorts of actors yeah. at the time. George Went and, and Carly Simon. And I, I'm just trying to, I, there were so many, you know. I Of course, you had... Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, right. Harold Ramis. I, I got the feeling it was anybody that happened to be around the studio at the yeah, time. I really, yeah. Stopped by and just uh, sang a line, who are you going to call? Yeah, because they had no common thread, if I remember correctly. It was just a who's who. It of, totally was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Parker actually said the hardest part of that song was using the word Ghostbusters. Because, yes, yes. Because director Ivan Reitman, he, he, that was his one stipulation is the word had to be in the song and Parker really struggled with that because what the hell rhymes with Ghostbusters right. other than Ghostbusters which is how it became the answer to a repeated question you know lyrically in, in the song um, but no it, it's that was a no brainer and yeah. I, I thought it might be a, uh, a match and it was so nope one of one of the greats alright um, well done yep okay well my next one I I did not, for this episode, include Monster Mash, which I think is probably blasphemy to a lot of our already, our audience. And it's not it's not that I don't love me some some Bobby Boris, Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kicker Five. It's that I, I you know there's so many other novelty tunes, and this one a lot of our a lot of our listeners they, they may not be familiar with it. It was just as big. It, it was called Dinner with Drac. And it was by John Zacherly. Do you know the song? Uh, I, I know the, of the song. I can't sing it to you or anything. Okay. But. It came out in 1958. Um, Zacherly, he was actually the host for Shock Theater, which debuted on Philadelphia's WCAU-TV in 1957. And as the host, Zacherly appeared usually wearing a long black undertaker's coat as the character Roland. And he lived in a crypt with his wife, My Dear, who was always unseen lying in her coffin, and his lab assistant, Igor. And the hosting of, of this black and white show, it involved interrupting the film to do numerous stylized horror comedy gags, parroting the film, which, um, you know, it was really an influential change which pioneered the now standard television hosting genre. Um, and in the opening sequence, Zachary as Roland, and it was pronounced Roland, not Roland, not Roland. For, for whatever reason, uh, but Roland would, would, he, he would descend a long round staircase to the crypt and the producers, I mean, they aired on the side of goriness. So they showed fake severed heads with blood simulated with Hershey's chocolate syrup, of course. And, and during the comedy cut-in, during the movie, the soundtrack continued to play on the air while the visual feed switched briefly to a shot of Zachary as Roland in the middle of a related humorous stunt, such as riding a tombstone or singing My Funny Valentine to his wife in her coffin. Uh, the show ran for 92 broadcasts through 1958. Now, Zachary was a close colleague and good friend of Philadelphia broadcaster Dick Clark. And he actually sometimes filled in for Clark on, on road touring shows of American Bandstand in the 60s. Clark is the one who actually gives Zachary his nickname of the Cool Ghoul. And in 1958, um, he really, Dick Clark partly uh, helped Zachary with, he gave assistance and backing uh 
to record this single, Dinner with Drac, uh, for Philadelphia record label Cameo. And um, the, the track, you know, it was a novelty tune that detailed Zachary's invitation to dinner with the famous Count, only to find out that he was dinner, okay? And he delivered the song in the spoken word style he used on the television show, and it, it was an immediate favorite among Philadelphia teens. So at first, Clark thought the recording was too gory to play on bandstand. So he made Zachary record or return to the studio and record a, a tamer second version. Uh, for that reason, you'll find, you know, there's a Dinner with Drac Part 1, which is what I'm including, and then a Dinner with Drac Part 2, which was the um, not-as-gory, if you will, uh, version, which the Part 1, by today's standards, is, of course, you know, tame as hell. But um, audiences then demanded the bandstand version as well. So Cameo actually released the single, with the original listed as Dinner with Drek Part 1 on side A of the 45 and uh, the Toned Down Alternate Version Part 2 on its flip side. And the single climbed the Billboard Hot 100 where it peaked at number 6. And, you know, eventually Zachary released several other LPs mixing horror sound effects, effects with novelty songs, but he, ne- he never did have another hit. But Dinner with Drek in 1958 was a huge, it actually, it soared up the charts and stayed there for a long while and of course, Dick Clark's American Bandstand was, you know, a, a very integral part of making that happen. A dinner was served for three at Dracula's house by the sea. The orders were fine. But I choked on my wine when I learned that the main course was me. The waitress, a vampire named Perkins, was so very fond of small gherkins. While she served the tea, she ate 43, which pickled her internal workings. <laughs> That's a perfect segue into the next one and the next song, because, of course, I included what everyone's expecting. <laughs> I, and yeah. that is The Monster Mash yep. by Bobby Boris Pickett from 1962 from the original Monster Mash LP. Yes. Um, number one song hitting the top of the charts in the last week of October in 1962. So that one was aligned with the holiday properly. Yep. Uh, Bobby Pickett would perform his uh, Boris Karloff impersonations when on stage with his band, The uh, Cordials. A fellow band member suggested that he take the bit a little bit further. So they created this monster mash as a dance based on the mashed potato with a Frankenstein monster type arm gestures. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that there was an actual dance oh, yeah. itself. Yeah. But... Uh, I'll have to try that. I've, 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 I've seen video. Of, I've seen video footage of it. It's I, I, it's like most sixty dances, sixties you know dance fads. I don't know that you would call it a dance, but but they did at the time. So well, of course, with we talked about the resurgence of the seventies, uh, the the nostalgia for the fifties, right? The uh, song actually hit Billboard again in nineteen seventy, and then in nineteen seventy three. So I think that's one of the reasons why this song kind of persists today as a Halloween fun favorite that we hear a lot.
lucky in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly to my surprise he did the match he did the monster match the monster match it was a graveyard smash he did the match it caught on in a flash he did the match he did the monster match from my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abodes To get a jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash They did the monster mash Picket released the Monster Rap yep. in 1985, which I did not know, and I'd care not to even find anything at all about it. He there are he actually recorded a lot of monster-themed songs. In fact, when we come back, it, our season ends with this episode, of course, but when we come back for a Christmas special, I might have a song by Bobby Porras Pickett in my Christmas list. Okay. I'm thinking about it. Okay. Don't know if you've ever heard it, but I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, there, he, there were a lot of monster uh, songs. By, by I'm, the, I'm by going the to safely kickers. avoid the monster rap. I think for the rest of yeah. my life. Well, that one, I I don't even know that I know the monster rap, but I've I've heard a lot of his. You said that was eighty five. Eighty five. That is late. I know. I yeah. I I don't know that I've ever heard the monster so, yeah, rap. Let's, let's just pretend like we didn't find that out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the song has been covered by several artists, of course, but uh, probably most notably by horror punk rockers, the Misfits. Yep. And that version is actually quite good. Oh, the Misfits, you know, it's funny because I, I didn't include the Misfits. On, they're, they're, on they're on the scary list. Yeah, well, yeah, at times. Um, but, you know, I remember them being scary, right. you know, well, when we were younger. Now it's I, it's far from it. It's I mean, not it's, scary, it's, but... It's, it's not. It's, it's f- Actually, it's quite fun now. Yeah, yeah, and, but that's, some of the lyrics are still pretty well, dark. Well, some of them, yeah. But, <laughs> really dark but, but, stuff. Yeah, no, their original work, absolutely. But yeah, they, they did a lot of novelty covers. Yes, um, yes. In fact, their version of The Cockroach That Ate Cincinnati is amazing. Right, right, right. I almost included the original of that, but it didn't make my list either. So, um, so many good novelty tunes for Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, The Misfits. I, I did. I... I wasn't going to include them on the scary list either, but I, I came close. They even have a track called Halloween, of course. Oh, yeah, they do. So. They do. All right, my next pick is from 1963, although it was originally recorded in the 40s. And it is by Thurl Ravenscroft, who probably is most famous for performing You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Ah, yes. But this particular song, it actually is called Headless Horseman, and it was supposed to be the uh, version performed in the 1946 film uh, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Okay, this is a... One of those uh, lesser-known Disney classics. right. In in the 40s, Disney had a lot of what they called package films. Right. They lost a lot of manpower to the war and a lot of, you know, they were limited in their budget because of the propaganda films that were were being made. So they they would take shorts... Well, they, they took segments that were too long to be considered shorts but too short right. to be considered feature length films and they'd put them together uh, so the, the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad it was um, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow of course paired with The Wind in the Willows um, similar to Fun and Fancy Free which came out the year before it was originally planned that Jiminy Cricket uh, was going to appear in the film to introduce both segments but the idea was dropped in favor of narrations by Bing Crosby 
and Basil Rathbone. Um, the two were cast largely to increase its audience appeal. And once Crosby signed on, um, you know, he was one of the most commercially successful singers of the 30s through the 50s. And he acted in several films. He already had an Oscar. Once, once he signed on, Thurl Ravenscraft's version of the song was next, even though it had already been recorded. It, it was shelved in favor of being Crosby's own performance of the song. Um, but, you know, finally, in 1963, uh, Ravenscraft's version was released by Disney Records. Um, and it, it's just, it's it's much darker than Crosby's. And it's it's more up upbeat it it does it doesn't quite have the swing i mean crosby's version is a jazz standard and there's also a very good version by k star uh, in the same vein but thorough ravenscraft it's it's more upbeat it's you know guitar driven and it's it's just very dark it's 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 just fantastic <laughs> Now gather round while I elucidate on what happens outside when it gets late. Along about midnight, the ghosts and banshees get together for their nightly jamborees. There's ghosts with horns and saucer eyes, and some with fangs about this size. Some short and fat, some tall and thin, and some don't even bother to wear their skin. I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on in the night. Midnight jamboree, they break it up with fiendish glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the headless horseman, he's the worst. When he goes a jogging across the land, holding his noggin in his hand, demons take one look and groan and hit the road for parts unknown. Local tradition, just to give a little bit of history, um, you know, the characters are fictional. Of course, but the place names and landmarks depicted in the legend of Sleepy Hollow are, are mostly factual. Three years ago, one of the best vacations I ever took with my family, we, we did a trip um, to New England, and we actually hit three spots. We went to the Lizzie Borden house, we went to Salem, Massachusetts, and toured you know all the witchcraft and, and uh, all the, the trials sites, and then we drove to Sleepy Hollow. Terrytown, New York. I mean, it was just a trifecta that was just... Is there a bridge that goes into town? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, it's not the bridge that originally existed. The the Headless Horseman Bridge, they have a sign marking where it was, but it it actually has been torn down. But the the actual church and and the the cemetery, everything else is still placed. You you actually see uh, markers where, like the ghost of Andre uh, allegedly... Uh, was was hanged from the tree. I mean, it's 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 all rooted in in you know history. The the Terrytown of the short story is, is the village of Terrytown in Westchester County, New York, and uh, it was founded by Dutch settlers in the seventeenth century. It's located about twenty five miles north of Midtown Manhattan. Um, some of the other landmate, landmarks are, are located in the nearby village of North Terrytown, which was long nicknamed Sleepy Hollow. And it was officially renamed to this name in 1996. Uh, Washington Irving himself was buried in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. So, you know, we saw his grave as well. But but local tradition in the Sleepy Hollow area speaks of the decapitated corpse of a Hessian trooper uh, that was discovered after a violent skirmish in the in, of the American Revolutionary War. And it was reportedly buried in an unmarked grave in the old Dutch burying ground. 
and and the Burying Ground, you know, it's also featured in Irving's short story. Irving obviously was familiar with the story and used it as the background for his Headless Horseman. But I, I found this interesting. I never knew this, and I, I love mythology. I love folklore. I love horror. The Headless Horseman also has mythological roots, which I never knew, uh, in English, Irish, German, and Scandinavian folklore. Apparently, ghosts on horseback are common in these tales, and few of them, actually, I'm sorry, uh, more than a few of them, uh, are, are headless. So, um, for example, you know, ghosts on horseback, uh, you know, there's widespread legend of the wild hunt, which features a phantasmal spectral group of huntsmen, uh, I guess, riding ghosts horses and accompanied by ghost hounds uh, and the entire group rides in mad pursuit across the skies uh, along the ground or just above it and for the headless horseman there there is the irish legend of the dulahan a headless rider who's usually on a black horse and carrying his own head under one arm so um yeah I, i'd never really come across that in my readings well, until you have I did some research nearly headless nick from well the you do have nearly yeah, which true. which yeah i kind of joke but also i mean a lot of rolling's Characters were are, based, are based in on historical, historical or mythological, yeah, absolutely characters. So yeah, I mean, it, it just you know, I had to include this not only because of the, this vacation, you know, it was, it was just, and we did a lot. It wasn't just horror, you know, uh, it wasn't just a a tour of horror sites. We did a whole lot of stuff, but um, it, it it so you know, I, I I remember it so vividly, and I'm such a fan of horror, and it was a moment that I share with my boys, and it just. Plus, I love Disney, and this this actually, I don't, I don't know if you remember, when we did our Disney show, I, I included this song as a honorable mention, Yes, yes, yes. and you actually said, we have honorable mentions now, <laughs> so, but I'm not going with Crosby's version from the film, I'm going with Thor Ravenscrafts, Ravenscrafts, which I think is far superior, but it, as I said, it was shelved for Crosby when he signed on, so. Did you like the Burton film? I did, yeah, I, I, I did. I thought uh, Johnny Depp... Uh, Christopher Walken, uh, Christina Ricci, she was in mm-hmm. it as well, who I, I love. Jeffrey Jones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah he yeah. was, yeah. I, I did. I, I I didn't find it particularly frightening, but, but you know, the as an atmospheric, as, as a mood piece, I thought, oh, it, well, it's Tim Burton. Right. So it's, right. yeah, I, I thought it was very impressive artistically. Um, as as. I really, I've I've always felt for any Burton production, even the ones that I don't particularly care for. But um, no, it was it was a good film. I liked I liked his version of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, or or just I think it was just called Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, yeah, it was just called Sleepy Hollow. Right, right. Yeah. All right, your turn. Well, the next one um, is not technically a Halloween song, and it's a song that I didn't know if I wanted to include because if we ever do a stalker episode, (laughs) I want to include this. Yep. Okay. And it sounds crazy doing a stalker episode, but we really there are a there lot are of stalker so songs. Many songs. But I suppose that'll be next season, so yeah. maybe we can use this again. I'm all, I'm I'm already playing Sting in my head when you say that. So. Of course, <laughs> and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. I do. Somebody's yes. watching me by Rockwell. Yep. Which came out in 1994 from the album Somebody's Watching Me. The song was it was a hit. As far as I know, it's Rockwell's only hit. It didn't hurt that he had a very very famous Michael Jackson singing um, along, I guess, featured in yeah. kind of a backup role, at it least in the refrain. It feels like somebody's watching me. Yes. Including, uh, and, and Jermaine Jackson also sang uh, backup. Oh, really? Oh, I, yeah. I didn't know there were, that Jermaine was involved. It, it, the song was an international hit, hit all over the world. It uh, reached number two on Billboard, um, kept away from the top spot by Van Halen's Jump and Kenny Loggins' Footloose. 
You know, uh, Rockwell is actually related to somebody famous. Hmm. Rockwell's real name is Kennedy William Gordy, and he's the son really? of Motown's Barry, Barry Gordy. Gordy. I did not yes. know that. Okay. Although they were they were strange at the time. Well, I, he 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 recorded on the Motown label, so right. I mean yeah. that makes makes him well. Of course, he, he's out of Detroit, so right. of course he recorded on the Motown label. But um, but yeah, they were strange, so it wasn't like uh, Barry Gordy necessarily helped him. Huh. Um, he went through other channels. But. I did not know that he was Gordy's son. That's new. That's new. I didn't know that. The song, mainly about paranoia, um, it has been associated with Halloween, probably most likely because of the video. I don't remember the video. Uh, which features all sorts of different horror tropes. Yep. Look it up on YouTube if you get a chance. Um, frankly, the video is pretty awful. <laughs> Um, and we also really, find really out was. we also find out that Rockwell showers in his boxer shorts. Yes. Uh, the camera, the whoever the director or photographer or the editor, I'll blame the editor in one of the shower scenes. Um, the camera was a little bit too low, and we saw Rockwell's yeah. boxers. Who's watching me now? The IRS. Yes, yes I um, did not include Rockwell. Um, it was it was one that I I. I left off for whatever reason but um now it is a classic and you're right it is absolutely you know halloween themed by association especially since yeah. they mentioned psycho and, and yeah, so forth exactly so yeah now great pick fantastic um okay well my next one was never intended to be a halloween song but i am including it here because in my mind it is a it absolutely fits. Uh, I'm going a little bit country here, okay, with a, a, a number uh, from the Charlie Daniels Band from 1979. The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Down, down, down I to considered Georgia. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who knew Lucifer could play the fiddle? <laughs> you know, um, apparently, you know. I love that song. Southern tradition. Oh, it, it's still one of my favorites. As I, a kid, I think any narrative type song is, is fun for kids because, yeah. you know, stories well, and, are fun. And this one, I mean, still today, when I when I hear it, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I stop because it's just one of those songs that I want to give my full attention to. It's just, it is a great story. Um, on a trip to Georgia, of course, the devil challenges a boy named Johnny to a fiddle duel. And if Johnny outperforms him, he wins a golden fiddle. But if he loses, the devil gets his soul. And after a sinister performance, you know, the devil, um, by the devil, who is accompanied by a band of demons, Johnny plays as if he is possessed nailing the performance inspired by his roots in the Deep South and winning the Golden Fiddle when the devil concedes defeat. The Charlie Daniels Band, you know, it's interesting. They um, they had just written, rehearsed, recorded all of the music for their 10th studio album, Million Mile Reflections, before they realized that they had forgotten to include a fiddle song, which was their bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. You know? oh, yeah. But they, they did. They got through 
all of their tracks that that you know the the album was literally in you know it, it was done it was you know in the bag and they realized they had forgotten a fiddle song <laughs> so the band took a couple of days off from the studio while Daniels brainstormed another track for the album and he found inspiration actually from a poem by Stephen Vincent Benet titled The Mountain Whippoorwill hmm. and uh, Benet wrote this poem after reading an article in the Literary Digest describing how a young lo, uh, a young Low Stokes had defeated in in you know, historically, um, Low Stokes had defeated the elder statesmen of Georgia fiddlers, Fiddlin' John Carson, at the 1924 Atlanta Fiddlers Convention. And the poem by Benet, it, you know, it tells of the heroic come-from-behind victory of an unknown youth over the reigning lords of the community, or as Benet's subtitle put it, how Hillbilly Jim won the great fiddler's prize. So Daniels, you know, he, he stumbled upon this, and you really see Benet's poem throughout the the devil went down to georgia the the poem's narrator is an orphan child named jim who uh, pictures his father as a fiddle made of mountain laurel wood and his mother as a whippoorwill and um, he enters and wins the essex county fiddler show after fiddling all night and believing he lost when the crowd goes completely silent and of course his prize for winning was a new fiddle uh, the Mountain Whippoorwill is a pastiche of, of phrases and motifs from tall tale and dialect humor. Lines include, everything's as lazy as an old hound dog, and uh, he could fiddle down a possum from a mile-high tree, um, go down Moses, set my people free, and one that may sound very familiar to Charlie Daniels fans, in Benet's poem, there's a line that says, Hell's broke loose in Georgia. down to Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sawing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're gonna regret, cause I'm the best as ever been. Johnny, rising up your bow and play your fiddle hard, cause hell's broke loose in Georgia and the devil deals the cards. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle made of gold, but if you lose, the devil gets your soul. It was a huge crossover hit. Devil Went Down to Georgia. The song was a number one hit on the country chart, but it also peaked at number three on the Hot 100. It won Best Country Performance by a duo or a group with vocal at the 1979 Grammy Awards. And, you know, Daniels, he played the fiddle for both the Devil and Johnny, and it was also Daniels who dreamed up what they both would sound like. Through the years, and I've, I've said this myself, actually, through the years, many, many, many people uh, told Daniels that they felt the devil played the better piece. Yeah. Okay. And Daniels, he would always get very angry <laughs> when people would say this to him. He said, he would always insist that if you dissect the devil's performance, it's all smoke and mirrors. He said there was nothing there, just a bunch of noise. There was no melody. There was no music involved. And he did. He got so... It sounded cooler, though. Yeah, that, which is exactly the point. Yeah. I mean, especially when I first heard it as a kid, the devil's performance, man, it blew me away. And then, you know, Johnny's just 
playing a fiddle. This is what it sounded right. like to me. But yeah, Daniels, he used to get so angry. Of course, Daniels died in July of right. this year. Um, but no, I, you know, it's really funny because this is Halloween fun, right? But, but I really, I began to find in very nearly all of my picks a literary reference. I mm-hmm. mean, it, there's so much of this. I mean, Washington Irving in the previous selection right. was obvious, but so many of these, these songs were rooted in classic literature, poetry, drama. I, I don't know. I really had fun doing some, some research and learning a bit about these songs this week. So I always assumed the song was just a different take on the whole Crossroads. Right. Yeah. Thing, you know. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, which, you know, I actually thought about in, including Crossroads yep. for this one. Yep. I did. I came real close both to Robert Craig's original and, um, or not Robert Cray. Uh, Robert Johnson? Thank you. I came real close to using Robert Johnson's version as, as well as, of course, Clapton and, and Cream, but didn't do it. Um, but yeah, no, certainly it's it's there, you know, the, the selling of one's soul, so. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought about including Running with the Devil, too, especially with the passing of, oh, yeah. of Eddie here recently, but I did not choose that one. All right, right. your turn. All right, well, I promised you there'd be a candy song, so we're up to I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow. Wow. We're talking fun. Oh, yeah, I knew that would be the song. Fun song, came out in 82 from the album Last of the Mohicans. Um, This is actually a cover version. It was actually, uh, you know... Strange Loves? Originally created by the Strange Loves, yes. uh, Recorded in 1965. I thought it was them, yeah. The uh, the cover was released by British band uh, Bow Wow Wow. And it was not a huge hit at all um, on American uh, radio. Didn't even drop into the top 40. Really? But thanks to MTV. Okay, yeah. Thanks to MTV, it became a new wave classic. Um, this song, like I said, may not really be about sugary sweets, but it's fun to include this on a classic Halloween-themed mixtape. Yeah, I want candy on the beach. <laughs> so, it's, it's got that candy uh, all the, the Bo Diddley-type uh, beat. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's just uh, it's just a fun song. You know, I thought about it. I, I don't know. I, at one point, I had some candy songs, and then I just thought, "Nah, I'm going to stick with the monsters." But yeah, no, that that is the song, and I knew that'd be the one that you. And the video was sharing. pretty awful. It was it was that time when they discovered all these new video effects that right. now, of course, look like really bad video effects from the early '80s. Wasn't but. wasn't she buried in the sand? At one yeah, point? they were on the beach, yeah. and she had this like mohawk cut, which was pretty radical at the time. At the time yeah. Oh, yeah. um, but she was still kind of hot. I don't know. It was uh, it was interesting, but uh, yeah. It, and then I think it was also featured in the uh, Napoleon Dynamite film. At least it was on the soundtrack. Okay, I can actually know what I think. I think it was it, it was on the soundtrack, and it was originally the um, opening title sequence. 
uh, of the original release of huh. Napoleon Dynamite. When it was later picked up and distributed widely after it did well in film festivals, right. they had uh, Jack White. Um, they got, I guess they had the, the finances or the money to afford Jack White's Can't We Just Be Friends or for the White Stripes. And so they replaced I Want Candy okay. with the uh, White Stripes version. Yeah, I, I don't know that I knew yeah. I Want Candy was... Uh, yeah, that was that was the original. Well, okay, you ready for unpopular opinion admission? I hate Napoleon Dynamite. Hate that movie. That's, that's hard for me to hear. Yeah, I probably just lost. <laughs> yeah. I probably just lost. Why do you hate the movie? I that movie. I I have watched. I've tried to watch that movie at least four times. I have never made it all the way through. I oh literally. My gosh. I get so. The the humor it it just falls flat for me, and I just I cannot. I don't. I don't care about the characters. I don't laugh at the film. It's just to me. It just. I'm looking at the clock, wondering when the hell this thing is going to be over. I feel like a day doesn't go by that someone in my life doesn't drop a Napoleon Dynamite reference. Oh, I hear him all the time, and then I tell people all the time I hate that movie, and they look at me like I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, uh, just, <laughs> that it's just unbelievable that I and oh, I, I love cult films. I, it, it takes a lot for me not to enjoy something. And I, I'll be the first to admit, I tell my students all the time, if you don't enjoy a particular work, it's not the work that's at fault. It's something that's... Oh, there's nothing wrong something, there. something lacking in you that doesn't allow you to make that connection. I just, I cannot vote for Pedro, man. I, I, I will be happy if I never again hear, see, or, or have anyone reference Napoleon Dynamite. I love it too because it's cross-generational. I remember when it came out, my students were the ones that kind of introduced me to it. So the millennials were the ones that kind of first discover it. But now even with Gen Zs, like we'll show it on the bus. It's hard to find appropriate movies to show on long trip buses oh, with yeah. middle school students. Definitely. And this is one that we can show that everyone seems to enjoy. But just yesterday we went to Sonic and someone made a comment about you know tots. Um, and my wife, my wife and I have all sorts of movie um, quotes that we use throughout just life. Yeah. And rarely is there when she's calling me for dinner, if I'm in a different room, she doesn't say, Tina, come get your ham. But if you're not familiar with the movie, then that's going to be totally lost on you. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I I can't say that I've never made it through. I think I have seen all the film in parts at some point. I just, yeah. I mean, we all have that one, you know, that that one unpopular opinion. I just, I, it's it fine. just doesn't do it for you. me. Does not do it for me. Yeah. So, um, but... You know, I want candy as an as, as an intro to the film. That might that might have helped a little bit. I don't know. Um, yeah, just not a Napoleon Dynamite fan. So, all right, what you got next? All right, my next one is by Andrew Gold, and it is it was um, in 2019, just last year, probably the most memed uh, you know Halloween song of the year. Uh, it is called Spooky Scary Skeletons. Never heard it. You're kidding. Mm-mm. It was everywhere. You, you, you okay. understand. I don't listen to the radio. Well, no, no, no. I'm saying just online. It was memed and memed and memed. I, mean, t- I don't. I don't guess I go. Don't go online to the right place. I don't. Okay. I don't I'm not a TikTok person. Well, no, I'm not either. But my students. I mean, that's all I heard about yeah. was was Spooky Scary Skeletons. Okay. Well, let me let me school you then. Um, yeah, it, it was by Andrew Gold. It originally released in 1996. It was uh, from a children's novelty album uh, by pop musician Gold. Um, it was a solo children's novelty album, and, and it was called Halloween House. Uh, Spooky Scary Skeletons, it, it's a slower and self-consciously creepy Halloween tune that has the unique distinction of being one of the few Halloween novelty songs to prominently feature 
the very un-Halloween-like sound of a xylophone. Um, if there can be said to be a Halloween pop music canon, Spooky Scary Skeletons really didn't didn't quite uh, enter it uh, upon its original release, at least if judging by the Amazon reviews of, of the song. That changed, though, in 2010, when a YouTuber posted a version of the classic 1929 Silly Symphonies cartoon, The Skeleton Dance, with Gold's tune in the background. And to date, that video has racked up more than 34 million views, and it has been credited as integral to the popularization of the skeleton subculture and, and just overall spooky aesthetic. Then in 2013, the song had a slight renaissance when DJ The Living Tombstone uploaded a sped-up remix that garnered significant YouTube views. Uh, still, the song seemed destined to, to fade away into obscurity until last year, 2019. The remixed version of the song began trending on TikTok as people everywhere began to film themselves dancing along, celebrities included. I mean, it, it just, everybody had their version. Uh, the, the original, uh, the origin, rather, of the actual spooky, scary skeletons uh, choreography uh, that began trending on TikTok, it really, it still remains something of a mystery. Uh, the choreography appears to have been popularized, if not created, by TikTok creator Minecrafter2011, uh, who at the, then was a 16-year-old, uh, his version of the dance appears to have been posted in September of last year. TikTok, of course, doesn't have a timestamp feature. Or at least I've been told I'm, I'm not on TikTok. But uh, the dance itself, it, it appears to be called together from a malang of, of different sources, including a uh, 2015 Vine of Beyonce and her backup dancers, um, as well as a 2014 YouTube video of glow-in-the-dark skeletons dancing to yet another dubstep remix. <laughs> Shivers down your spine Shrieking skulls will shock your soul Seal your doom tonight Spooky, scary skeletons Speak with such a screech You'll shake and shudder in surprise When you hear these zombies shriek We're so sorry skeletons You're so misunderstood You only Startling shrilly screams They'll sneak from their sarcophagus And just won't leave you be Most people, though, they know very little about Andrew Gold, the man who performs the song. He was the son of Hollywood composer Ernest Gold and legendary Hollywood ghost singer Marnie Nixon. Uh, he started his career in Linda Ronstadt's band, and that's his guitar work uh, on the landmark 1974 album Heart Like a Wheel before launching his own solo career. And he had some minor pop radio hits in the 70s, most notably Lonely Boy, but um, he really, really uh, made a significant contribution to pop culture history um, and, and will forever be remembered uh, for the original version of Thank You for Being a Friend, which is now best known as the theme song to the Golden Girls. So essentially... You know, uh, he was liberated enough by NBC royalties to pursue any number of passion projects, and he decided he was going to create this solo children's novelty Halloween album. So 
Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised you've you've never heard spooky scary. I mean, maybe skeletons. if I hear it, I will recognize it, but it's not okay. consciously no, in my fair. memory. I I bet you have. I, I bet you have. Certainly, um, if you if if all else fails, definitely look it up on YouTube with the skeleton dance from Silly Symphonies, the Disney black and white footage because it's oh. together. It, it is pretty cool. There's, that one was for Ben. Ben loves spooky scary skeletons. My my younger son and I told him that I would definitely included so. well last night at happy hour after maybe a few cocktails i finally agreed much to the encouragement of some younger co-workers to finally download tiktok i Did didn't do really? it i didn't do it yet but wow. i told them i would i have i have never downloaded it so you're you're ahead of me <laughs> but, but i was warned that my weekend may be consumed through the rabbit hole if i choose to do so yeah well i'll tell you what i've i've been tempted to download it just in spite of you know certain administrative decisions that have been passed down through executive order, <laughs> but I I've, I haven't. I'm, yeah. I'm not a TikTok. I, it doesn't interest me. It's like I'm even even Twitter, Instagram. I have accounts, and of course Gen X Mixtape has accounts. But I'm a Facebook guy. You know, we stole it from the kids, made it our own. Of course, they all quit using it now. But I, I love Facebook. Everyone I care about's on there. And speaking of Facebook, folks, we are so close to 500 likes on our page we need 16 more likes to reach 500 well our drive for 25 is stalled and we still have 19 so <sighs> yeah, well. you can give us an iTunes review we'd much appreciate it if we get yeah. 6 more I was hoping by the end of the season but you never know yeah maybe, we'll, maybe next season we'll hold a contest give something away we'll, we'll bribe them for their that might be their ratings idea. reviews and likes so well after uh, your um, your recommendation I finally watched both seasons of Cobra Kai Ah. And um, I will say what I found probably the most attractive about it, it's really, it's a show about uh, and for Gen Xers. Oh, yeah. And their frustration with the, the next generation yeah. and how Johnny Lawrence really represents um, that kind of inability or unwillingness to embrace change. Yeah. Whether it be the old car that he drives originally, whether it be the fact that he doesn't have a cell phone or a smartphone at least mm-hmm. and doesn't understand social media. And so I don't think I'm as bad as jo- Joey Lawrence's character, but Joey Lawrence, uh, Johnny, Joey Lawrence was, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Uh, Johnny Lawrence's character, sometimes yeah. I do feel his frustration. Well, you know, and it's really, what I love about Cobra Kai though is because I was such a huge, I'm, when, when we did the good fight, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, I, I talked about standing up wiping the tears away and giving that standing ovation when the swan kick, you know, begins to choreograph itself on, on screen for the karate kid. But what what is amazing about Cobra Kai is it's very clever how they rework it to make Daniel LaRusso look like the bully. Yeah, well, it, it, it is. It's, 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 you I, see both sides yeah, of it. Yeah, I am. Um, because Johnny, you know, you find, you find yourself rooting for him, which, you know, I, I never... Never thought it would be remotely possible, well, but that's one of the that's one of the things I, I so love about Cobra Kai. I'm really hoping Elizabeth Shue I think she is. returns. I, she I, is. I really hope she comes back for season three. Yeah, no spoilers though. Some people haven't watched it. No, it's yeah. too much. But yeah. um, I will say that I, it's kind of frustrating and refreshing at the same time that after two seasons, I still don't know who the hero is supposed to be or right. the villain, and I still don't know what the lesson of the show is really supposed to be because it doesn't follow any sort of like traditional moral code. There are times when you think, oh, this is really bad what's happening, and it turns out like there's no you know, expected lesson or consequences from the choices those characters make. So I guess it's kind of refreshing that it's not necessarily a formula um, piece, but it's also I'm just a little disconcerted because I'm used to 
media kind of channeling you yeah. into one direction. Well, the central villain definitely is still well, Crease, of course. Kreese, again, I don't yeah, want to too much the if you have uh, John Crease, but much, um, but. but yeah, I mean, when you're looking at the Larusso uh, Lawrence dichotomy, I'm not sure there is one. Yeah. I mean, I think their classic hero partners are probably before the series ends. Oh, they're going to be best friends. They're going to be best friends. They're going to be running the together. In fact, that's my prediction for season three, is that they're going to come together and fight the real villain. I don't think they're going to come together quite yet, but I do think that... Oh, well... Yeah, we don't want to say no, too no much. No spoilers. Yeah. No spoilers. We'll leave it there. You and I will do it off... We'll off. do a Cobra Kai yeah. uh, podcast someday. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> so, all, all right. right. My turn? Your turn. Okay, well, another one that had to be on there, and uh, it's from 1958... Okay. And it's the Purple People I Eater figured, yeah. from Shabwooly. Yep. Just did, a single. Did not include it. Another number one novelty hit from early rock and roll. Mm-hmm. It's not likely that I'm choosing more early rock and roll songs than you. I, you know, I, I struggled with it because there are so right. many. In fact, this is another one. There is a version of the Purple People Eater where he guides Santa sleigh. There's oh, a version. <laughs> there's actually a version of the song uh, or Actually, two. One is Bo Diddley meets the monster, uh, where Bo Diddley meets the purple people. Eater. I think I actually heard. And that. then there's actually another version where Sheb Woolley pair partners with David Seville. That's called uh, the Purple People Eater meets the Witch Doctor. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. So if you can imagine what that—that's just painful to hear. <laughs> but um, yeah, now there there are so many novelty tunes from. The, in fact, next year I'm tempted to just make a playlist. Do a novelty. Yeah, just a, a novelty. No, just Halloween good. novelty next year. But I think we need to get to the scary stuff. But just a just a novelty playlist in yeah. general would well, be fun yeah, to do. Well, I'm, hell, I, I would be happy just to do a Weird Al yeah. mixtape, quite frankly. But Well, you have the one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater, which um, many people misinterpret, by the way. Yes. The creature is not purple. No. It eats purple, purple people. people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the song has inspired, as you mentioned, you know, all sorts of different sequels, toys, games, um, and, and even a song in 1967, unimaginably, unimaginatively called The Purple People Eater Number 2. So, but what a fun, again, if we're going on Halloween fun. Oh, it is. This is a fun song. I, I kind of kept in mind, I guess this is part of my criteria too, if I were holding a Halloween party and Later in the Halloween party, maybe earlier, I don't know which I'd go for. Yeah, I'd want a scary list, but I'd also want a fun list. Yeah. Maybe this is the later one when a few cocktails have been consumed. Yeah. People are willing to go out on the living room dance floor. Um, this may be a good playlist. And of course, when this comes on, everyone's going to sing along to it. Agreed. Well, I saw the thing coming out of the sky. It had a one long horn and one big eye. Like a mister shaking in the city It looks like a purple people eater to me It was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater A one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater Sure looks strange to me One-eyed Well, he came down to earth and he lit in the tree I said, Mr. Purple People Eater, don't eat me I heard him say in a voice so gruff it was a one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. One-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Sure looks strange to me. My next song is from 2010, and I gotta ask you: Were you a 30 Rock fan? I've never seen an episode. You've never seen 30 which, Rock, which really is a shame because I love SNL. 
and uh, people have told me that I would really like the oh, show. It is. In- it was. It was one of my f- favorite. It's yeah. one of my winter must dos. Yeah. yeah, Tina Fey's Thirty Rock is just. It's incredible. Okay. Well, sometimes the jokes on Thirty Rock. I mean, they they would come so fast that it, you really you needed a DVR and you needed repeated use of the rewind button to to catch them all. Um, and a lot of them came from quick cutaway scenes, which was a gimmick frequently used on the show. Um, we're long past the golden age of novelty songs, right? We, we just got done talking 1950s, especially. But in 2007, humanity was actually gifted with a monster mash for a new generation as part of a 30 Rock cutaway. Um, it featured an eight-second sketch, just an eight-second clip, titled Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Huh. Okay? Uh, the sketch imagined a 1980s novelty song and music video recorded by Tracy Jordan, who's the resident nut job on the show within a show, and he's played with comedian Tracy Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Carlock, he's uh, an, an executive producer at 30 Rock. He wrote the episode, and he came up with the idea um, as the writers mold the breakup of Tracy's marriage on the show. Because during the separation, his wife delivers a box of personal items on set to him, and it includes the gold record from his recording of Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. So then they cut to the imagined music video of the song, a thriller-like montage uh, of badly made-up werewolves sporting lame disco moves while celebrating a coming-of-age ceremony. Are they wearing yarmulkes? Um, you know, I, don't, I can't remember now, honestly. <laughs> um, but... The gag was in part, you know, it was inspired by the Black Eyed Peas, actually, because they had their their huge part hit, I Got a Feeling, which includes the very intentional Mazel Tov in its lyrics. Carlock said that he he has always felt the song was an obvious attempt to pander to a Jewish audience. The song would continue to be played at Jewish events and receptions. And he asked himself, what are the things that artists do to try to make those BMI and ASCAP checks keep coming? And that led him to imagine the character of Tracy at a bar mitzvah, wondering why there were no bar mitzvah songs playing at the party. So Werewolf Bar Mitzvah was then, you know, character Tracy Jordan's take on party anthems specific to Jewish rites of passage for the sake of profit, is, is kind of how it all went down. But then unexpectedly, those eight seconds took on a life of itself post 30 Rock. It garnered tens of thousands of YouTube viewings just in the first week alone, and it became a frequent topic for water cooler discussions everywhere. So, uh, given its popularity, Jeff Richmond, the genius musical director of the show, he he basically suggested that they write a full song. And Tracy Morgan wasn't available to record some of that song in musical director Jeff Richmond's office. So Donald Glover stepped in. As it turns out, Glover can do a really good Tracy Morgan impression. I can okay. imagine that. Yeah, right. Well, Glover, you know, he had talked about his propensity for impersonating Morgan in previous interviews dating back as early as 2012. But for many Glover fans, you know, the information is less a revelation and more a reminder of the range that Glover has. But um, he, he also makes a cameo in the song as Tracy Jordan's producer, filling in with some of the spoken word ad-libbing as well so he's he's all over the track and you know to this day um you know carlock still says that he's just you know he's beside himself with the idea that he actually produced childish gambino in in the in the studio um but but carlock and fellow 30 rock writer tammy sager they're really to thank praise and or blame for the extended werewolf bar mitzvah song but 
According to the writers, Donald Glover also lent a hand in writing a few of the lyrics, in addition to lending his pre-Emmy award-winning vocals to the track. It is, now of course I'm biased for obvious reasons, but literally it is probably my my favorite novelty tune of, of the 2000s. And I have been playing this song as I've been preparing for this this mixtape. I've been playing this song nonstop. And my boys, they can't get enough of it. I mean, we still just literally laugh out loud every time we hear the song. Oh, man, Trey, look up at the sky. It's a full moon on the Sabbath. This is scary. Break it down. I was working late on my half Torah when I heard a knock on my bedroom door. I opened it up and to my surprise, surprise there was a werewolf standing there with glowing gold eyes. He says, Tomorrow, my son, you will be a man. But tonight's the time to join the wolfing clan. clan. Tomorrow, you will stand at the beamer and pray. But tonight, let's gaze at the moon and bathe. Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolf. Werewolf for mitzvah, spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolf. It's all right, that was that was great, Trey. Okay, it's over. That's a wrap. Oh. The next day, what happened? The tumor didn't teach. Oh, this man. I got up in front of everyone to get my little speech. Then my teeth turned into fangs and my nails into claws. And I nearly dropped the Torah when my hands turned into paws. I growled and I roared and my rabbi did as well. It was a fucking werewolf zoo at Temple Beth Emanuel. Hey man, where'd you learn all these Jewish words? My manager, Harvey Lemmings. Werewolf puppets for spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. This is one I think you're really going to enjoy. You may not get all of the humor. There's a lot of Jewish humor, although you, you've you done well, it. I've known you yeah, for well, that 40 and, years. You know, you're a Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm guy, so you might pick up on a lot of it, but it, it is just, it is classic. Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. So there it is. That's my, my next pick. Very good. Very good. All right, this is the next, another one that, I, well, I mentioned it earlier, that we could have gone on the scary or could have gone on the fun, and I went back and forth, back and forth, and it landed on fun. Okay. Very Gen X here from 1988. Okay. It was a song that was sued, especially the video. <laughs> this is our third match. If if it's going where I think it's going, it's from the album. He's the DJ. Yeah. I'm the rapper. Yeah. This was yeah, this was your hip hop that you were. Yeah. It's Nightmare on My Street, Street by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Yep, third one. And. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the okay. song was actually a, a, a hit. I don't remember it being a hit. I remember the song, but it went to number 15 on Billboard. Yeah, it did. And this is what it happened. So basically, the label was sued by New Line Cinema because the video that was made for the song had nothing to do with, like, they had nothing to do with it. The song had nothing to do with the movie itself. And they basically were just trying to, I think, have their own take on this pop culture phenomenon that was the Nightmare on Elm Street. And because they were so close, especially the video was so close, the video was actually destroyed. Although, I haven't checked, but supposedly a copy survived mm-hmm. and was uploaded to YouTube. Yeah, that's what I've read is that it's still available, but I don't know, I, I didn't look for it prior to coming in today. So. The, uh, the dispute was settled out of court, but a disclaimer had to be printed on the record, letting people know that the song was not on the soundtrack and in no way associated with the film. Yep, yep. Well, you know... Uh, Basically, New Line, they actually asked Will Smith, uh, or the duo, 
really, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, they asked them to record a song for Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Oh, did they? So there was a connection a little bit. There was a connection. And the New Line thought about including the song, um, but then they, they opted not to. So DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, they actually had this this track, you know, and they they went ahead and released it. Now they also got into trouble not not only for you know using the, the character, but more specifically, the song samples Charles Bernstein's musical yeah. motif. Yeah, there from is a Nightmare a on Elm Street, and that two that, or three notes. Yeah, and that yeah. that is more than anything why uh, New Line really came down on them because that was the 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 property that they really didn't want uh, you know the duo making profit from. Um, but yeah, it, it it is a it's a great song. I, I included it. It's, our, it's fun. My third match with you. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the song, he says, "I'm your DJ now, Princey." You know. It's yeah. Just, it, it's a fun. It's just. But when you listen to the lyrics too, it's also kind of oh, it, it yeah. be scary. It, I mean, absolutely. it's intended to be frightening yeah. as well. So yeah, no, it, it's definitely there. So far now, the matches have been on. You had to replace them. I haven't yeah. had to replace them. In yet. fact, everything from now to the end has to come from my my uh, alternates because uh, this is going to be my eighth choice, and it is well, my eighth choice is Ghostbusters. So just to let you know, I'm I'm at the alternates now moving forward, um, which takes me and. This is an alternate that may actually allow you a match. I don't know. Uh, this next one is from 1975. And oh, I see you shiver in Antissa. Patient, I have yes. a match. You have a match here. I fear we did. So Yes, that's my yeah. next one. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey from theater upstairs, which was a small theatrical venue in London, to the UK's equivalent of Broadway, the West End. Okay, it was here in 1973 that Lou Adler first viewed Richard O'Brien's hit musical, The Rocky Horror Show. And Adler, Adler was already a revered name in American music. I mean, he had produced Carol King's Tapestry, the Monterey Pop Festival. He had um, already produced six hits for the Mamas and Papas, including California Dreamin'. Immediately taken by O'Brien's stage production, he purchased the U.S. theatrical rights, and he took the show to the Roxy in L.A. Um, and soon after... Michael White, who had produced the London shows, Adler, O'Brien, and London stage director Jim Sharman, began collaborating on a film version of the musical. And uh, Adler and White produced the film, Sharman directed and co-wrote the screen adaptation with O'Brien. And in terms of casting, 
Very famously, several members of the London cast made the jump to the screen, including Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, O'Brien uh, as Riff Raff, Patricia Quinn as Magenta, and Little Nell Campbell as Columbia. Uh, they had all been in productions in England. But the ostensible leads of Brad and Janet, the, basically 20th Century Fox wanted American actors. So, uh, Barry Bostwick and, and Susan Sarandon, they, they auditioned and won the roles. Um, and You're forgetting Charles, someone. Ooh, I'm not done yet. Oh, okay. Not done. Okay, okay. Charles Gray, uh, who was a two-time Bond villain, he was cast as the criminologist, and Jonathan Adams was caught, cast as Dr. Scott. Uh, but Marvin Lee Addy, who is better known as Meatloaf. There we go. Yeah. Um, Meatloaf, he, he was actually a veteran of Broadway's Hair, and he had played Eddie in the L.A. cast at the Roxy. He reprised his role for the movie two years before the release of his career-defining album, Bad Out of Hell. So when it was time to film, Oakley Court was chosen as the movie's location for the gothic appearance and classic horror atmosphere. The estate, we had, I had already mentioned Hammer Films when we were talking Vincent Price, the estate had previously been used in several Hammer Studio films, including The Brides of Dracula and The Plague of the Zombies. And in Charmin's direction, you have to give, you really have to give him props here. You can occasionally notice some of the same wide angles and sudden zooms prevalent in Hammer features, which were meant to echo the styles prevalent in the genre. Uh, Richard Hartley produced the soundtrack and handled musical arrangements on the songs that O'Brien had written. And in 1975, the Rocky Horror Picture Show debuted two empty theaters. <laughs> yep. the, the film was assailed by critics, and outside of L.A., it was quickly pulled from theaters. So Tim Deegan, who was a Fox executive, um, he suggested an alternative, an alternative strategy. He figured that the film might do well on the midnight circuit, just like John Waters' films had. And Deegan got the ball rolling in New York. The Waverly Theater became ground zero for a cult phenomenon, fostering audience participation in the form of recited remarks and props. And soon, audience members began coming to the show in costume. And, and screenings started to have live casts, of course, that would act out the film as it ran on screen. And within a couple of years, the movie had become a cult sensation, and it literally introduced the world to the Midnight Movie. Um, and that was 45 years ago this year. So Rocky Horror, and we saw several screenings in yeah. Bowling Green. Do you know? Do they still show it? In? I don't know if it's in BG. I actually, I mean, just in, in general, oh, is oh, it still oh, yeah. a thing? Oh, definitely. In fact, I I saw it at the University of Cincinnati. It was showing in uh, Clifton Heights. Um, I, when we went down one weekend uh, last year to, to visit Joel, I, I saw that it was playing at the theater. So I, I literally forced. Well, I didn't force him. They were more than willing to go. But I took Joel and his girlfriend to Rocky Horror at a midnight showing at UC and. It was all there, like toilet paper, awesome. cards, there, there is guns, no longer plain, plain, de plain dealers. You yeah. know, so. There is no longer a um, the theater in, in Bowling Green. It's now a bar. Yeah. It's a bar. Yeah. Okay. I, I knew, I, the last time I was there, I think the Claisel was, it had been turned into a private venue, I yeah, thought. I think but, it's a bar now, last I checked. Of course, wow. that was a few years ago. But oh, that's depressing. I'll have to ask my son. That's depressing. But yeah, no, it's definitely, the midnight screenings are still happening in, in university, you know, college towns across the country because oh, and, and the big cities I mean UC is hardly a college town but yeah no it's still still very much alive um, and you know being 45 years ago 45 years and it's the 45th anniversary the movie has never officially closed mm, it actually it holds the record as the longest running release in the history of film hmm. because Rocky Horror has never officially 
closed. And some fans and film history buffs were really concerned about the status of the film when Disney finished its purchase, its acquisition of 20th Century Fox, because Disney loves to vault right, right. films, which we've already talked about. But they were conscious of Rocky's status and fandom, and they decided to keep it in release so that the screenings would go on. Um, in the film, I, mean, I haven't even talked about the song, of course, but um, in the film, mad scientist Frankenfurter hosts this wild party at his castle where his strange assortment of guests do the time warp, which is a parody of a novelty dance Novelty dance numbers, such as the twist or the locomotion. Uh, it consists of verses sung by alternating characters serving as the introduction to two of them. And the choruses are sung by the Transylvanians, as they're called in the film, or the Phantoms, which is what they are referred to in the play, and the criminologist narrator. Um, the characters that sing the verses, of course, are in this order. Riff Raff, okay, the creepy hunchbacked servant played by Rocky Horror creator Richard O'Brien, he actually introduces the song. Second is his sister Magenta. And third, groupie Columbia, who finishes with her tap dancing solo. Meatloaf's voice is prominent in the chorus of the film version of the song. And the song is actually reprised briefly at the end of the film in flashback and in stage productions as an encore led by Frankenfurter. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll, but listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Jump to the left. And then the the right. With your hands on your hips. You're bringing me to the the building fast. And then it does an insane Let's do the time on the Let's do the time on the If we have anyone listening to the episode who has never seen Rocky Horror in the theaters, you need to find a showing. I mean, you literally need to, need to just you know, find the theater, buy your props, and plant yourself in the seat and lose your Rocky Horror virginity because it is it is unlike anything else you will ever experience. Well, and if they're not, well, that's another thing. Did, I wonder with the COVID stuff, if they've still been showing it. Well, I'm sure it's probably not showing right now. No, but I mean, that would break the streak of the film that never closed. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's true. But if you don't want to or don't have an opportunity to see it because of COVID, it's not as fun. But usually VH1 shows on Halloween night. Yeah, well, you can you can well, yeah. buy it. I'm, I'm sure it streams. But usually the VH1 well. version has like little like. Oh, do they have the audience callbacks? And yeah, they have audience callbacks. I think they also, they, at least one year, I think they showed it live. So they showed the film, but then they would cut away when there was audience participation. Like a mystery science theater? Kind of, where you'd see some of the audience members also, and they would hmm. cut back and forth from the film and what was going on in, in okay. the theater. So. Now, you know, for the record, because you and I have talked about, you know, ideas for next season, I actually had a listener who talked to me, not, not, this wasn't a discussion on Facebook, it was just 
in passing, um, who actually said they would love for us to do a Rocky Horror episode where we just go through the songs or the film. I, I don't know what so they It's had. not really a mixtape. No, it wouldn't be know. a mixtape, yeah. But I, I thought, I, I said I'd bring it up to you. I don't know. It'd, it'd be fun, but I feel like I just gave away a lot of what we'd be saying that, yeah. <laughs> in so that episode. That but certainly uh, some of the songs are... In fact, Time Warp, guys, I, as a DJ, I can tell you, it has transcended the film. I mean, it, it's commonly played at wedding receptions and events, you know, everywhere. So. Well, and I toyed back. This is the obvious song, but my favorite song is still science fiction double feature. Yeah. And um, that one I considered for this list as I, well. I did too. But it's not really fun and it's not really scary. It's creepy, but I, I feel it's creepy. But I, you know, I, I don't know that it, the lips are, <laughs> are creepy. Um, I mean, poor Patricia Quinn, they actually had to strap her head to a board uh, so that her head would not move as she was lip-syncing Richard O'Brien's vocals. Um, but, yeah, no, I thought about using science fiction double feature because it's far more horror-themed. I mean, right. Now, the time warp is about a descent into madness. Sure. So, and, and you know, it, it fits with, within the Halloween realm. But, yeah, science fiction double feature is my favorite, followed probably by Sweet Transvestite or Touch It, Touch It, Touch Me, which, you know, then we're getting into... Uh, songs that may not be as specific to the Halloween genre, but um, no, it's it is quite the the musical. So yeah. one of my favorites. All right. Well, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize ahead of time for this last pick. Last. It's my well, my last before I have to oh, go into. I was say, you before have, I have to go to the okay. alternates. Yeah, I was going to say you should have two left. So. Um, I can't believe I'm doing this to to me, to you, to our mm-hmm. audience. Uh, Dave, okay, this is coming from the guy who's already chosen It's a Small World and the Smurfs. Do you, do you know where I'm going so, with this? I, I don't know. No, I don't. You may not even, audience members may not even remember this. I barely remember this, but I remembered it enough to look it up and see if it actually existed, which it did. came out in 1992. It was simply just a single. Uh, right about the time when, when hip-hop really started to kind of cross over into the mainstream, you know, late '80s, mid to late '80s, you had, of course, hip hop. Right. Yeah. Old, old school. Uh, but right about this time, when when hip hop became kind of a popular totally music genre, totally drawn a blank. The lead singer was actually the the performance was performed by a man named John Kassir, who is more famously known as the voice of the Crypt Keeper. The Crypt. The Crypt Keeper's Jam. The Crypt Jam. <laughs> yes. Oh my good God! I um. <laughs> I, I remember that. <laughs> I, I had forgotten that, thankfully, but I now rem- I now remember that. It is literally, as it sounds, the uh, host uh, of the Crypt Keeper is, you know, of course, the host of um, Tales from the Crypt. That 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 I guess it's a puppet, right? Yeah. Uh, who raps in this? Um, you can find the video online if you try hard enough. Believe it or not, um, YouTube has removed probably because of either it's so awful or because of some rights dispute. But anytime you look it up on YouTube, at least when I tried to search for it, I got the, it has been removed because of copyright violation. But if you look hard enough, you can find it. Uh, It may be the greatest awful thing you will see today if you look that up. Greatest awful thing. It uh, Just picture the Crypt Keeper rapping at a hip hop party (laughs) complete with backup dancers and then stock horror images intercut, and you pretty much have the gist. Okay, I gotta ask though, because Spotify is so. It's on Spotify. Is it really on Spotify? It's on Spotify. I okay. checked. I'll see I you checked. <laughs> 
ladies. Would you like to dance to death? All you have to do is come to the Crypt Keeper's party. A monster bash, if you will. Come on down! For whatever reason, I was really praying it wouldn't be as fun. No, it, it's no, it's Gen X. It's it's. And you may not be. Fun. Well, I'm sure you believe this. I could not find any further information about this song. I'm 100 percent sure you couldn't <laughs> find any further. I mean, well, Elfman had to be involved. Was not involved. He's not. He didn't. Was not involved because in he this. he does the theme for the. He did the theme for Tales from Yes, Crab. but he's not involved in this. Okay. I didn't know if maybe they at least had some of his... No, I think there were some hip-hop artists that were involved in it, okay. producers and so forth, but uh, okay. I, I couldn't I, find out I who. do not remember the song at all, so I was thinking maybe it might include some of his, inc- inc- you know, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, incidental music I, I mean, from the show. Perhaps, but. I don't remember now if any of the original theme weaves its way through, okay. but... I was more preoccupied with the video itself than listening to the song, so I'll go back and revisit Crypt it. But uh, it is definitely rapping. fun in a really campy Gen X sort of way. I apologize, folks. Okay, well, you know what? Then it's only fair because I'm on my alternates, and oh boy, I um I threw this one on there, but I really didn't think I would include it. But if we're going to have the Crypt Keeper, then it's only fitting that we have Elvira, Mistress of the Night. Oh, sure. Okay. Sure. All right. So 2016, uh, the song comes from uh, 2016, but a little bit of background first. In 1981, Cassandra Peterson auditioned against 200 other horror hostess hopefuls to become the new star of a weekend horror show on Los Angeles television station KJH-TV, right? Uh, Producers left it up to her to create the role's image, and her first idea was to appear as actress Sharon Tate's character, Sarah Shagel, from the Roman Polanski film The Fearless Vampire Killers. Uh, when producers rejected the idea, she next came up with the persona of a sexy punk vampiress who she named Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And the character was a hit with producers who titled the Saturday Night Horror Program Elvira's Movie Macabre. Uh, Peterson's Elvira's character rapidly gained notice uh, in no small part due to her tight-fitting, low-cut, cleavage-enhancing, gothic black gown. And she adopted a flippant tone of a California Valley girl uh, while she brought a satirical, sarcastic edge to her commentary, of course. Uh, she revealed in dropping risque double entendres and making frequent jokes about her cleavage. And her campy humor, sex appeal, and good-natured self-mockery made her popular with late-night movie viewers and her popularity soared. Um, Peterson is always said that Elvira is her, or rather Elvira is her when she was a teenager. Uh, Peterson admits that in character, she just says what she thinks and feels, and uh, meaning it is not an act, but just the spastic side of her own personality paired with her unabashed sense of humor, and she's always delighted uh, that her fans seem to enjoy that side of her. So, 
The Elvira character soon evolved from an obscure cult figure to a lucrative brand, um, and her popularity reached its zenith with the release of the 1998 feature film Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Uh, the original program, though, Elvira's uh, Movie Macabre, it ended its run in 86, um, but Peterson has never ended the character. Um, twice, Elvira's Movie Macabre has returned to television, first in 2010 and then again in 2014 in an exclusive deal with Hulu TV. And although it's been a while since Elvira was syndicated, uh, the buxom beauty and self-proclaimed hostess with the mostess remains a boisterous, busty, buxom... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and really as, as busy uh, as, as ever. Uh, she starred in several specials, has everything from comics to video games uh, to collectibles uh, that she's working on. She continues to make guest appearances, attend conventions, and host the annual Halloween haunt at Knott's Berry Farm Amusement Park in California. And she's currently developing everything, uh, you know, f- from a sequel, uh, another film production, as well as full-blown DVD collections. But she also has recorded several Halloween albums. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's... By the ba- way, can you name the Tim Burton film that she appeared in? Not as Elvira, but... Yeah, uh, she's been in... A, well, she was in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yes. Um, Do you remember what she played in? Was she at the truck driver? Nope, she was one of the biker mamas. Okay. When he goes okay. to the biker bar. Yeah, I knew she was in it. It's been... Yeah. I haven't seen Pee-wee's Big Adventure in forever, but... Okay, now that would make sense, yeah. Um, yeah, no, she, she's actually been in a lot of films, both as Elvira and just as herself. I, her, I looked at her uh, filmography, and it was it was really impressive. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize how just how active she had been. So, speaking of her recordings, okay, this one, I I love it, but I am juvenile, and I am, I, I'm going to admit right here and now that I, I'm, this probably reflects very much on you know, the kind of person that I am that I'm including it. But in my defense, in 2016, Peterson released a seven-inch vinyl record. Uh, now, she's had actual, holo- like, full-blown albums. Right, right. She's, she's released several albums. But in 2016, most recently, she released a seven-inch vinyl record on Third Man Records' label. Uh, it was pressed on purple vinyl, actually. And the 45 featured two songs both of them written by her very, very good friend, very longtime friend, Fred Schneider of B-52's fame, okay? (laughs) In fact, it was Schneider who approached her. He wrote these songs for her, approached her, and said, let's do it. Um, Now, the songs, okay, on side A, you have a song called Two Big Pumpkins. And on side B, (laughs) on side B, you have the 13 Days or rather the 13 nights, sorry, 13 nights of Halloween. You know me. Which song am I going with? You're going with the pumpkins. I'm going with two big You're going pumpkins. With the pumpkin. Hell yes, I'm going with two big pumpkins. Now, <laughs> um, Schneider's tribute to Elvira's greatest assets, Two Big Pumpkins, is a song packed with double entendres and campy cackling and devilishly danceable beats, but it never betrays our PG 13 rating.
There's also a music video that was released to uh, of the song, and it, uh, yeah, I, I just had to. <laughs> oh, I, I had to put it on my alternates list. I did, I was not actually going to pick this one, but if you're going to go Crypt Keep, Keeper, then I am definitely going. I love it. Elvira this is fun. This is Halloween fun. So yes, um, probably went on a bit long on, on the history of Elvira, but well, it, it's I, a Halloween you know, episode. Yeah, of course but, you we know, are. I, I loved. I, I loved the character. I actually now you met Vincent Price, but I've actually met Cassandra Peterson. She, oh, have you? Yeah, she was at the convention that I went to once uh, years ago. As Elvira and, or as herself? Uh, she was there as herself, okay. but she was signing, of course, you know, Elvira merchandise and whatnot. She was just she was funny as hell, and she was just so endearing, and she just all smiles and probably one of the politest celebrities I've ever met. And the piano with her was just it was a scream. No pun intended, oh, but, yeah. but it was, yeah. I'm, I, I definitely she she is, for Gen X probably the defining uh, character when we think B horror films. Yep. I mean more than more than anybody else involved. So, yeah, I had to put her on the alternates, and I'm no regrets about choosing her as one of my one of my picks. So, there you go. Excellent. Two big pumpkins, and it is on Spotify. I looked. All so. right. All right. <laughs> Does Fred, Fred Snyder actually appears on the track? Uh, no, no, he, oh, okay. he just wrote and produced gotcha. the, the, the the both both songs. Interesting. So yeah, it's which um, when you listen to it, yo, you can tell. Yeah, you can tell. There's definitely a B 52s influence nice. on the songs. Nice. So, well, I have this. This is the last pick of the show, or do you have another one? Uh, I have one more. Okay, yeah. um, I have five alternates, and I'm not sure. I have two from early rock and roll. One that's kind of rockabilly, one that's traditional rock and roll. Okay. I have one that's old, old school hip hop. I have one with the Tim Burton connection. What do I pick? I have one that's a local connection. Local? Well, my local connection is this. It's a fun song. It's not necessarily Halloween theme, but you can see how I made the jump. It's from the Black Keys. Oh, I- Howlin' for you. Howlin', yeah. Howlin' for you. Yeah, Howlin' for you. Of course, uh, Black Keys are from Akron. Um, great song, although now it's really it's popping up everywhere. I I, well, I knew the song when nobody else knew well, it, and now it's been used for commercials. It's used and, everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. But I threw it because again, I'm thinking in terms of a Halloween party, so that would be a fun one. Uh, my old old school hip hop is "The Freaks Come Out at Night" from Houdini <laughs> yep. from 1984, which is uh, off the album Escape and the first hip hop album to ever reach the top 40 on Billboard, and the first hip hop album to be certified platinum. No, that was the first one. Yep. I would have thought Cameo Word Up would have been. I don't know that. if that was really considered rap. That was more just pop, right? I guess. And that's a single. This May- is an album. Maybe. I'm talking the oh, album. Oh, oh, album. I'm talking the album Escape. Sorry. Too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I always saw that Word Up is more of just a. I don't know. I know R&B it was pop song. Pop, yeah. possible. Well, Sugar. I guess it does. Yeah, Sugar Hill yeah. Gang? I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just. Uh, yeah, that's the album itself. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there were singles that. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I mean, um, "Rapper's Delight," which right. I think is in '79, hit the right. top forty. Yeah. So, yeah, there were other rap songs. Okay, that, but um, um, no, you're, I'm sure your research is spot on. I, my two early rock and roll ones are 
Trick or Treat by Chuck Berry. I almost included that. I'm, I'm, I didn't even know if you would know the song. Yeah. Well, it's it's one of his more obscure songs. Yeah, it's, it's actually from the You Never Can Tell album. And it um, also appeared the on stage album, which was kind of a fake yeah, live album right, yeah. um, as well. But, you know, it's a fun song, as Chuck Berry songs are. The other um, was the Haunted House by Jumpin' Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons, who, yeah. uh, as a kid, I had a, top, a book, the top 40 book that I would study. Yeah. And I was a huge Kiss fan. And so... Um, when I saw Gene Simmons, I'm like, what? He had a song called Haunted House, but then I realized it was from 1964. Yeah, not, not the same Gene Simmons. Yeah. But that's where Gene Simmons got his stage name. Oh, yeah. Because he was yeah. a, a huge fan of early rock and roll. Correct. So Kiss Bass's Gene Simmons chose his stage name based on this particular artist. Um, he was kind of a one-hit wonder. He actually opened for Elvis in the in the, in the 50s. He performed, you know, uh, recorded with Sun Records. But uh, it's really his novelty song, Haunted House. Uh, that went to number eleven on, on Billboard. That was his biggest hit. I think I'm going to settle with the with the Tim Burton connection, okay. and it also connects to my very first choice. So, kind of bookends everything that I'm doing here today. And I'm going with Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo Weird Science. Okay, yeah. I, you know, I I thought of Weird Science. I also thought Dead Man's Party, which is the other Oingo Boingo right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. staple. But I, I did not include Oingo Boingo. And, so. I, and I say it's a Tim Burton connection, not because of obviously it was a John Hughes. I'm, I'm saying Tim Burton because of the Danny Elfman right. oh, connection yeah, yeah. and yeah. that type of thing. Uh, came out in 1985 from the Weird Science soundtrack. And uh, of course, Weird Science was just the Frankenstein story uh, for a Gen X audience. Um, John Hughes actually called Elfman and asked him to write a song for the movie. And so driving home to Los Angeles, Elfman kind of wrote the song in his head. And as soon as he got home, he recorded it in his demo. So it was a really, really kind of easy one to create. Um, However, he never really considered it to be a true Oingo Boingo song because it was way too commercial sounding for what the band was used to doing. So even though it's probably the song that most John Xers... I was going to say, it's the one everyone knows. No, it's, yeah. it's really not um, what he felt it was representative of their true catalog. From my heart and from my hand Why don't people understand my intention? He was really embarrassed by the video, too. The video, he did not have any artistic involvement in because he just you know, created the song. And then the video was produced as a promotion for the movie itself. And yeah. uh, he was really, I, I mean, he's in it, I believe, but he was just really embarrassed in the way it turned out. <laughs> which, which, you know, it, to me is kind of comical because 
Oingo Boingo, I, you actually had one of the best quips of, of the season when you said Oingo Boingo is the band that's more fun to say than, than it is to listen to. You know, um, when you said that, you know, it's more no, fun to say. No, but I think they're legit. To. I think. Oh, oh, definitely legit. For early New Wave, they're legit. Oh, without question. But the fact that he'd be embarrassed by Weird Science, which. Now, I, I will admit, I, I know they have a very lengthy discography, and Dead Man's Party is the only significant track I know other than Weird Science. But. Right. Weird Science was such a defining moment that I would be surprised that he is that he was embarrassed for the video. Well, yeah, the song yeah. itself it's okay, even though he doesn't feel like the song is represented. Right, so, um, like almost like he, he wished it would have been a Danny Elfman solo. Gotcha, because he doesn't okay. feel like it really fits the Ongo Bongo repertoire. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But the video that he really had no creative hand in, I don't he was embarrassed even remember by. Remember the video? I'm pretty sure it was intercut with. Um, I was going to say from the movie. I was say, it's one just of those Kelly kind of, LeBrock and, and right. the boys, right? What would you little monsters like to do first? I um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, no, great, great film. I loved Weird Science. Um, no, I I thought about only I just didn't include him. So no, that's a great pick. There's my my tenth pick. Okay, well that takes me to uh, revealing the rest of my uh, alternates. I have a few left. I have Zombie Jamboree by Harry Belafonte. Mm-hmm. And when you put it on the alternate list, because I'm not going to use it, um, I'll, I'll I'll tell you specifically which one to use because there are, he recorded the song five different times. So, but the original recording was 1962. I I'm, I really don't want the original recording, but that that was the first time he recorded it. But Zombie Jamboree actually it dates back far far uh, beyond. I mean, it, it was a song that actually came from. Um, you know, West Africa and Haiti, uh, Haitian voodoo rites, and it, it's it's a folk song that much predates Harry Belafonte. Um, I also have um, a little number by Jimmy Buffett called Vampires, Mummies, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, that's a good one. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. Um, not going to use it, though, which kind of pains I'm me I'm kind inside. of disappointed in myself that I didn't think of that. Yeah, kind of pains me. I'm not going to... But in any any Buffett, but I also had probably the most schmaltzy and cutesy serial killer song in history, one that was polarizing and certainly not only with critics but with the band itself, uh, called Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I also have the one I think I'm going to use. Oh, oh, I missed one. I also had the Werewolf by Paul Simon, which came out in 2016, but it's very political. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Right. It, there's a lot of humor, but it's very political. Uh, but the one I think I'm going to use, because it's, uh, let's let's end this with, with, you know, the very heart of Halloween fun. My last pick is going to be by Weird Al Yankovic from 1984, from the album In 3D, titled Nature Trail to Hell. Nice. Okay. Nice. Yep. Um, it's from a second album in 3D. It, it, this was you the sure album. it wasn't from Dare to Be Stupid, Alan? <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I am confident that this right. one is from in 3D. Right, yes. In fact, this is the song that gave in 3D its album title. So, I yeah. Um, this one I'm, I'm this one I am the Dave <laughs> of confidence. So um, now in 3D, it was actually a second studio album. This is the one that really made him a very unlikely but inspired pop star. Uh, the curly-haired Hawaiian shirt-wearing, accordion-playing uh, genius. He, be, he became the clown prince of MTV at a, at a time when the Young Network was 
both an exhilarating Wild West, making up the rules as it went along, and the epicenter of the pop music world. And the album, it, it hit the MTV bullseye with the Michael Jackson parody, Eat It, but it was his original tracks that really cemented Yankovic's reputation as a comedic genius. Um, Yankovic's legacy is not only built upon his familiar parodies, but also on his deep album cuts. Those oddball songs that casual fans have never heard, but that hardcore fans are ready to tattoo on their bodies, right? Um, and Nature Trail to Hell is one of his finest. The, the song is the closing track and the perfect ending to the giddy carnival ride that is in 3D. And like an accordion toting Kripke keeper, I mean, Yankovic set out to both amuse and terrify children <laughs> with this song. Uh, the song is a horror comedy for the ears that doubles as an audio trailer, old school come on for a 3D horror film that does not exist, and for good reason. It really should never exist, but the faux movie trailer is a promotion for a slasher film coming this Christmas to a theater near you, he tells us, and it delights in bloody, bleary, blood-splattered excess, taking great joy in mapping out the myriad horrors of a Cub Scout troop that crosses paths with a homicidal killer. Okay, Um, I'm not sure how many scenes there are in the film or how many Cub Scouts are in the pack unfortunate enough to encounter uh, the killer, but the song gleefully tells us that two or three are hacked up in every scene, and each is slaughtered in ways designed to highlight its theatrical 3D release. Because it's not just Nature Trail to Hell. I mean, the singer can't stop fetching about it. It's Nature Trail to Hell in 3D. song, it joyfully explores what would seem to be a pop culture paradox, which is the heart of this very mixtape, which is the horror buff's intense desire to experience things that are generally considered to be terrible. (laughs) Okay. Um, But then again, in 3D as a whole, is rapturously in love with the tacky, the ephemeral, the, the dated, and the televised. And Yankovic isn't content to end the album riffing on pop culture of the past and the present. Uh, no, he he actually ends his second album and first masterpiece by inventing fictional pop culture too bloody and ridiculous and over the top to really exist. The song is pure fun, though, if you've, if you've never heard it. And, and it is quintessential Weird Al. 
I mean, I, I still laugh out loud, Dave, when I hear this song, especially when, in the midst of gory details, he booms, so bring the kids along. It's good, clean family fun, okay? <laughs> and, and best of all, best of all, like all of those very famous satanic records from the 1980s, Nature Trail to Hell actually, we're not Yankovic, actually included a backmasked message. Are you serious? I am oh, serious. that's great. He actually included a backmasked message on this song, which we all know is the most evil way to convey, you know, a message outside of infomercials. <laughs> the message in this case is as sinister as one might expect from Weird Al. It says, Satan loves cheese whiz. <laughs> so... Nature Trail to Hell. That's I'll how I'm going to end the mixtape. I'll have to pick up that on vinyl sometime and try it. Oh, it's it. I, I have it at home. I think I think I still have the the vinyl. So, um, do do you want to reveal what our choices would have been for Scary? Oh, we can. You want, do you want to do that? Yeah. I can. All right. All right. Well, okay. or do we want to just wait until next year and yeah, it's up to you play it out? Um, yeah, I'll leave it up to you if you want to. I'm ready to share them. Or we can wait till. I mean. You're right. We're kind of, I guess, spoiling next year. Yeah, because we're, 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 I'm hoping we're going to be doing this for okay. quite yeah. a long time. I'll, I'll hold so. on to this. Yeah, let, let's let's wait. Right. I no guarantee my songs will be the same next year as I chose True. now. But um, but it was a very different playlist, of course, because it was more haunting and moody and atmospheric. And I'm just mad I don't scary. get to play the Ramones Pet Cemetery. Yeah, I knew you'd have that one. Actually, you know what? I was really torn between that, which everyone expects, but another song off their first album that a lot of people don't know called um, I Don't Want to Go Down oh, to the Basement, yeah. which is you know kind of a scary song, too. Yeah, no, I, I really... I had, I had a lot of fun with the scary playlist I and mean, there are a lot of songs that are genuinely just wicked yeah i mean i i and i ran the gamut i mean i, I had everything from uh the doors to billy eilish i mean it, i had it, the doors it, on there too yeah in fact i was gonna end my my playlist with a song by the doors that probably makes a whole lot of sense given that i was going to end oh you're gonna go i was gonna go with riders on the storm because oh okay no i was gonna go that song terrified me as a child i was actually gonna go the end because i don't think there's anything more disturbing in the annals of rock history than than the the closing of that that song that works um or people are strange even which is more fun but it's well echo and the bunnyman version of that was used in the lost Lost boys Boys. and i had echo and the bunnyman not that song on my list as well i did too yeah one called the, the Killing Moon. Yep. yep. Oh, we would have matched. We would have huh? matched on that okay. one. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll save it for next year now that we've revealed half of our lists. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, um, All right, well, I guess we need to go sequence our songs here. We need to sequence, here. yeah. Um, ready to do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. We will okay. be back right after this. And we're back, and we have a sequence for our fun Halloween mixtape. That's right, and I think this one, it's just, it really does capture the spirit of of All Hallows Eve. I'm looking forward to listening to this one. Don't forget, we have all of our, um, if you're a new listener, we don't mention this every episode, but we do have all of the playlists that we've created yeah. uh, available through Spotify or YouTube, depending, and they are all listed on our website. So if you uh, look for Gen X Mixtape, um, the website uh, comes up, uh, if not first or second, one of the first results, right. and you can find all the playlists listed there. Yep, and definitely worth your time. I, I know no, we have some listeners that uh, probably don't listen to our podcast but enjoy the the playlist. So. And here's one you can plug right into your Halloween party. And Absolutely. At least have uh, an hour or so of uh, music. Yeah, 
Yeah, and this one, especially for the kids, this would be a good playlist for the kids primarily. Um, there's not a whole lot here. Well, the Elvira one, maybe not. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true, but but nothing particularly scary. No, nothing, which was, nothing scary. Which was by design. Nothing overtly so. inappropriate. All right, so here we go, folks. We begin our mixtape, side one, with the citizens of Halloween singing This Is Halloween from The Nightmare Before Christmas. That goes into Spooky, Scary Skeletons by Andrew Gold, followed by Monster Mash by Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kicker 5, into Dinner with Drac Part 1 by John Zacherly, and The Purple People Eater by Sheb Woolley. That is followed by I Want Candy by Bow Wow Wow, Weird Science by Oingo Boingo, Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr., Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell, and... Finally, A Nightmare on My Street by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Then, on side two, we begin with Thriller by Michael Jackson. That is followed by Dracula's Wedding by Outcast, featuring Khalees. Then Werewolves of London by Warren Zevon. The Headless Horseman by Thurl Ravenscroft. The Devil Went Down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels Band, followed by Two Big Pumpkins by Elvira. The Time Warp by Richard O'Brien, Patricia Quinn, and Little Nell. Followed by The Crypt Jam by The Crypt Keeper. Yeah, have fun with that one. And followed by Werewolf Bar Mitzvah, which is by Tracy Morgan, but also uh, uncredited, uh, the childish Gambino himself, Donald Glover. And we end the final uh, song of our mixtape. We end with Nature Trail to Hell by... Weird Al Yankovic. So, really, I mean, it's <laughs> it is a fun. It's a fun Halloween mix. Very fun mix. Exactly yeah. what we set out to do. So, and also, I, if you're if you're a fan of our alternate lists as well, this one's going to be fantastic. I mean, it's it it's going to complement and, and parallel mirror a lot of what we have on our uh, on our mixtape uh, with some. Really, some devilishly good surprises. So I, we hope you really enjoy. And you know, I can't say it enough. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Yeah, and me I too. love October. So this is, you know, what a what a great way to come to an end of. Our I think first after season. you leave today, I'm going to watch the uh, Headless Horseman slash Wind in the Willows. Oh yeah, Adventures Disney of the Goodbye, Mr. Toad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I love. The legends. When we were a kid, they showed it every Halloween. It, right. was, it was shown, you know, just like Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and it was my it was my favorite of the Halloween specials. I loved Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman. All right, it is time for our soundtrack segment. All right, last one of the season. Here we go. Um, oh, you well, you read yours to me, right? Because you, I don't know, you went first. Okay, I'll do I, that. <laughs> I think you have loud, obnoxious neighbors living above you. What song do you play at high volume to get back at them? Ooh. Anything by ACDC? No. <laughs> well, no, I'd... Uh, well, you got, that's a fine line, because there are songs that are just painful to hear, but I would also be listening to them. So, you know, tiptoe through the tulips is probably not the way to go. So something um, you would enjoy, but they would hate. Okay, so it's probably a guilty pleasure. Um... How about the Crypt Keeper Jam? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, let's go with um, uh, 
Oh, what annoys my wife? Let me think. I have a lot of music that really annoys my wife. So I would maybe go with... All right, I'm going to play with audience participation Knock Three Times oh, by Tony Orlando and Don. I can knock on the ceiling with a broom? Yeah, knock three times on the ceiling if you want me. I'm going to let them, you know, going to make them feel really uncomfortable and just pound the hell out of the that ceiling. Works. Knock, that that knock, would do knock, it for me. three times. That would do it for me. Yeah, um, I, I think that would probably send the message loud and clear. So, all right, you ready for yours? Yep. All right. You are at the lake and you start having chest pain. You realize you are having a heart attack and you are two hours from the hospital and decide to drive yourself to the ER. That's stupid. It really is, yes. <laughs> but what song do you want to hear on the drive? So I just got to play the same song for two hours over and over again? I... So something chill. I need something that, that would really relax me. Yeah. Right, so I don't have a heart attack. Or or adversely, something that would play as your life flashes before your eyes if you were going with worst-case scenario, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go. I'm going to assume that I'm going to survive this. I hope you do. So something that's, that's really chill. Po- um, podcast would not be nearly as much fun by myself. So, yeah. <laughs> so. What's a good chill song? Comfortably Numb, maybe, by Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. That one, that one has some some pretty dark undertones to it, though. You mean lyrically? Yeah. I don't listen to lyrics. I, I, I forgot who I'm talking I'm thinking to. of a vibe. <laughs> yeah. A really slow beat no, per minute that right. would slow yeah. my heart rate yeah. down so I wouldn't... Yeah. No, I forgot who I was talking to. Yeah, Comfortably <laughs> Numb absolutely works. Then we go with Comfortably Numb. Okay. All right. Of course, there's a scream at the end that might be startling. <laughs> yeah. Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? All right, maybe, so maybe "Wish You Were Here." Anything by Pink Floyd. Wish you, were, you wish you were here. That's I like that one. That's a nice song. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that concludes our last soundtrack segment of season one and our last episode of season one. Yes, I am. Um, now we will be back. We're going to have some specials. Uh, Christmas you know, special for sure. Yeah, Christmas. We've been talking Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day. Uh, I think the plan is to come back in May, I think. When in May, I don't know. But if we are not back in time, we'll probably do a Mother's Day special, I would imagine, at the very least. Yep. But yeah, we, we, we'll be back in the spring. Um, and until that time, we, we hope that you'll spread the word and share season one. Uh, look for polls on our Facebook page because we do want to get feedback. Uh, we're looking at making some changes to our dynamic, to our uh, our approach in season two. Um, but it has, it's, it's been fun. I, I've really enjoyed the season. I hope you have too. And, um, yeah, look for us as the holidays approach, uh, Thanksgiving, but if not, definitely at, at Christmas time. So Thanksgiving would be just songs of, of, of thankfulness? Uh, either that or food. Oh, food. Okay. Food well, songs. it's called food songs. That's good. I can see that. Yeah. I, I, either one works I and mean, we could certainly, yeah. you know, play a, you know, a, a, a mixtape of gratitude. Um, but either one. Uh, Christmas, though, got to. Well, and, yeah, yeah. And that, I would love to do that. We really have not done anything romantic. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do something for Valentine. Maybe kissing. Kisses for I, something. I don't know. I don't know. We could do candy. That and their candy would definitely fit for Valentine's Day. That's true. Day. That would. Uh, given that we've said it's or just all, Valentine's Day in general and we can choose can, candy songs and kissing songs and yeah well, that's true too I don't know but uh, yeah we will be back um, 
and look for us season two, probably early May. So uh, until that time, uh, one last shout out to our sponsors. Please remember to uh, look for Jay Callahan Painting. Uh, She can be found on Facebook. Uh, If you have painting needs, she services the the greater Cleveland area and she does an amazing job. And one last shout out to Affordable Entertainment, their live Tuesday trivia. Um, Prize give give outs have have changed a bit. You can actually win twice and if there is a sponsorship for the night's game, sometimes three times you can win. Um, But he uh, continues to to play a, a great game of trivia it's a lot of fun a lot of camaraderie and you can chat get to know your fellow players and you know it's just it it really is a blast so you want to tune into that it's online um and you, you do need zoom actually you need two screens but it, it is it's a great time so we we hope uh we'll see you playing with us uh in the weeks ahead i did i did i, I think i tied the one time i played yeah yeah you you did um and actually, he offered to send you the gift. You, you, oh, it's you, fine. you turned a, it down. He's a sponsor of ours, well, so yeah, it's no but, big deal. But you know, prizes are prizes, man. It's, you're, you're you're a better man than me. It's just the <laughs> it's just the fun of, of victory. It is, yeah. No, or half victory. Yeah, just the the game itself. I mean, it brings me back to years ago playing countdown trivia. You know, which you could still play, but you know, we have a long history with that particular. Uh, format yep. that we're not going to share today. Not today. <laughs> but um, again, uh, thank you for, for sticking with us through season one. We hope you'll return for season two. Look for some changes. Look for some polls for your feedback. That's all I got. All right. Hot fun, cool punk. Even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next season. <laughs> what? I, I just wasn't ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> but for now, uh, Press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. But we will see you on the flip. I was going to try and be creative, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on the flip side. <laughs> Anticlimactic. No, wow. it was good. All right. We'll see you next season, folks. Mm-hmm.